welcome back to Catching Up on Cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Trevor. Uh, this is Kyle. <laughs> I'm Michelle. And I'm Brian. And uh, you may have noticed, uh, we have changed up our show format once again, uh, something that we've been doing uh, periodically from week to week this month. Um, and you may have also noticed that we have a couple of uh, somewhat new voices here on the microphones. Um, they have been on the show once previously in the form of a Tales from the Shelf uh, episode. Um, but we have here with us today uh, Michelle and Brian from the Movies for Life podcast. Uh, how's it going, fellas? Or folks, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fella. So, come on. How do you feel about that, Michelle? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm good. Good. Good to be here. Yeah, definitely. It's nice to be back and talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I've been meaning to have both of you on a regular episode of the show because uh, Tales from the Shelf uh, is, of course, a monthly episode that we do here where we specifically talk about our, our movie collections. Um, but the show format radically differs from you know what we do from week to week. Um, so this month... I still brought my movies, though, for visual aids. <laughs> I still brought both of them. <laughs> yeah. And we do still have plenty more in our collections. So, you know, hey, if you ever want us back for one of those, we'd be down yeah. for that for sure. That's fun. Well, I will keep that in mind. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun on that one. Uh, I got to see some really amazing picks from both of you. Uh, in fact, Michelle, uh, I found myself uh, really uh, taken by the, uh, the Tremors uh, 4K that you have. <laughs> Um, yeah. I did not have that at the time of recording, but um, since then I have acquired it, uh, and yes. I'm very happy with it. I, I would not have uh, been in such a hurry to grab that had I, had I not had the opportunity to have you show it off. Uh, so I've thank you for that. Seeing all the cool stuff that yeah, was in thank it. Thank you yeah. for helping me waste more of my money. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm always happy to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for joining us here today. The theme... Uh, for this month's episodes here Catching Up on Cinema is uh, Guilty Pleasures. Uh, so from week to week, we've been talking about movies that, you know, you're maybe not especially thrilled that you're a huge fan of, or maybe movies that, you know, you, you have a little bit of a guilty feeling about, you know, appreciating on the level that you do. Um, it doesn't really matter exactly the reason why, but the title is Guilty Pleasures, and that's what we're doing today. So uh, being as we have two guests, uh, and being as on Movies for Life... The two of you often uh, review two movies back-to-back uh, -back that have some form of connection. I thought it would be appropriate that we would do that here today. Um, so it sounded like, uh, during our pre-recording pre chatter, um, it sounded like, uh, Michelle, your pick, uh, Get Over It, uh, <laughs> was the film that we were going to be talking about first. Um, this is directed by Tommy O'Haver, and it's from the year 2001. Um, Michelle, uh, would you care to bring us up to speed as to why why you picked this movie for our discussion today? This is just one that I've always really enjoyed, and it always felt kind of like a, a secret love that nobody has ever even heard of, let alone seen, whenever I mention it. Um, I saw it around when it first came out. Um, actually, I, I just remembered the other day like how I saw it. I, so I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I even like heard about it, but... Um, the video store that I worked in was like the, just the little video section, like inside the grocery store, you know? And so um, I worked there for a little bit and they used to send like little screener VHS tapes of certain movies. And for some reason we got one for get over it. And so I took it home and it became like 
a huge favorite because it is just so fun and colorful and goofy and bonkers and um, the amazing cast. Like, I'm definitely going to be running down the names in the cast list here in a little bit. Um, and like I said, like, I've, I've loved it, like, pretty much ever since it came out in 2001. And, like, whenever I mention it, nobody has ever heard of it or seen it. And actually, one of my favorite things that ever happened on Twitter was I found out that one of my friends, um, Joey, she actually wrote an article about this, I think, um, a couple years ago for, like, its 20th anniversary. And I was like, you've seen this movie? You love this movie? <laughs> really? Oh, my God. We were already best friends, and now I love you even more. And so, like, on Twitter, we spent about a good week going back and forth with each other and just quoting lines from the movie. <laughs> so if you want to get dig into that Twitter thread, it's kind of cute because we just couldn't stop. We basically quoted the whole movie to each other. So I love this and it, it brings me a lot of joy just because it's a fun, goofy movie. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand how you could develop that kind of attachment to it because it is, even from a production stand, like production design standpoint, it is very over the top and very, very colorful and it, it has mm -hmm. an energy to it where it, it never sits still too long to the point that mm -hmm. it's a very easy watch in a lot of ways um and yeah there's there's a lot of these these lines these asides especially for martin short in my case that kind of catch you <laughs> off guard where it's like that was really fucking funny <laughs> like, like, where the hell did that come from <laughs> um but uh, i'll i'll throw the question to everybody else in the room does does anyone else have a background or familiarity with this one uh, I actually am in the boat. I saw this when it came out. Uh, yes. I don't. I don't know <laughs> what prompted us to to watch it. Uh, this is one of those movies that has kind of a similar. It has like a similar uh, box at Blockbuster as other movies of its kind. Of its uh, kind, like uh, what's Dri Drive Me Crazy is almost the mm -hmm. exact same cover. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I don't know what made us uh, watch this. I really don't know. We. I think this was our. Maybe the second time we'd ever seen Ben Foster. The other one was big, and we like, we didn't really know who he was. But yeah, I remember I remember thinking this was really funny uh, because of Martin Short. I remember really liking Martin Short in this, and then I went back to rewatch it. I'm like, oh, I completely forgot Martin Short's in this. Like, I completely mm -hmm. forgot about this movie. And he's he was my favorite part of the movie. Obviously, uh, going back and revisiting this. How about you, Brian? I had never heard of this. <laughs> Neither had and, I. And then, uh, so I uh, I rented it uh, on Vudu and watched it yesterday afternoon, and went. That is pretty entertaining, kind of you know, fun, and I was surprised by the musical numbers. Uh, I was surprised by the cast. I was surprised by Martin Short looking like he's about thirty. At the mm. beginning of this, I was like, "How did he do that?" It's like it's bronzer tips, or something maybe. like the frosted tips. I don't know, <laughs> but it was it was shocking to me. Uh, so yeah, I had a lot of fun with this little thing. It was yeah, and you know, Mila and Kirsten are just cute as buttons, and little mm -hmm. baby Colin Hanks. Um, it was just like wow, that was. It, I had a good time. I'll admit it. And I, I'm i not feeling so guilty about it either. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I do not feel guilty about this at all. I think more people need to see this one and love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, you know, I don't know if Michelle and I really believe in the term 
quote unquote guilty pleasure. We just have gotten to the point where we just like what we like and we don't give a fuck. <laughs> we much. can curse, yeah. right? <laughs> I did get that vibe uh, before yeah. we started recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like I, I encountered some pushback just on the the basic concept. Of the <laughs> no, but <laughs> but here's the thing: it's it's a it's a it's a uh, shorthand. And yeah. I think everyone kind of knows what it means. So there's, I mean, there's, yeah. I understand why you, why you picked that, picked the term. I get, I get, I get what you mean by yeah, it, but it's like, totally you shouldn't feel you guilty for liking anything. Somebody obviously is a fan of everything. So just Yeah. If you spend more it. than 10 minutes on film Twitter, you'll realize right. that people <laughs> like some really, really, really terrible stuff. So, hey, uh, we're all in good company, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very healthy perspective to take on, on the yeah. subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, that's part of what's kind of been interesting about doing a, a whole episode with with this super broad theme of guilty pleasures is that you do get to obtain some insight into how other people think of the basic concept. Like, sure. last time we had a guest, uh, Jace Keys from the Snescapades podcast, he, he had a different interpretation than both Kyle and I as well. Um, so it, it's kind of neat. Uh, to get to touch on this just a little bit but um this movie for me um coming out in 2001 i had it gets a lot of nostalgia points uh, even though i didn't see it when it came out just the fact that it's from a specific time period that i have pretty vivid memories of i remember who i was and the and what the world looked like and what the like general media culture was like at the time mm-hmm. and yeah. as a result like some of the aesthetics and some of the design choices in this movie are just funny in 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 ways that it's it's not it's not expressly like what what the movie's trying to do. It's like more where it comes from, I guess, that tickles me. Where it's like I watch the opening of this and I'm like thinking of Austin Powers a little bit, and I'm looking <laughs> at the production design and the general tone of the music, and it, it has like a very deliberate like '60s throwback vibe to it. And even the font choice on the cover, Kyle had pointed out that the cover art looks very similar to another movie, like another contemporary comedy of the day. But yeah, this was, this was a fun little nostalgia bomb. Um, but the the cast is probably something that I think everybody in the room here has quite a lot to say about. <laughs> I mean, okay. In this movie, we have Ben Foster, Kirsten Dunst, Melissa Sage Miller, Shane West, Colin Hanks, Zoe Saldana, uh, Mila Kunis... Susie Kurtz, Ed Begley Jr., Martin Short. Um, in littler, uh, smaller roles, we have Carmen Electra shows up. <laughs> Coolio, Vitamin C, <laughs> and Cisco. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Like, a lot of these people have gone on to do some pretty incredible things in the film industry. But here, it's like, that is that is baby Ben Foster. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, like, it's so weird to me to, to see him playing this kind of role. Because I'm, I'm just not used to it, honestly. Um, anytime you see, like, Ben Foster in kind of a slightly conventional leading man role, it's like, that just feels like the wrong use if you're Ben Foster. I need him angry, <laughs> and I need him st- I, need, I, I need him exploding on people. And he does he has moments just, like that. In he, this, does. Yeah. he does. He does. <laughs> and else, like, the thing for me I've always appreciated about him is his physicality as mm. an actor. Like, I feel like he finds ways to incorporate that into a lot of his performances. And you do get some of that here. Where, I mean, he's not as brilliant on his toes as Cisco, but nobody is in this movie. <laughs> um, but he gets to throw a couple punches, and he gets to scream into the camera a few times. So that was yeah. nice. 
Well, like I said to you guys in the chat, I was like, okay, if you if you're not into this movie from the opening credit sequence, where um, Ben Foster gets dumped by Melissa Sage Miller, and then uh, as he's walking away from her house, Vitamin C and her band like comes out of the garage and starts singing a Captain and Neil song in a one long take as he's walking down the road, and then other people kind of show up and start dancing in the background. Like, come on, <laughs> if you don't like get I the like- vibe and like love the movie from that, I I can't really help you because that's where I was like, okay, this is gonna be. Something I'm going to love. Yeah. What I found hilarious about that, too, she hands him the box and he's holding this condom in his hand and he's holding and he's walking down the street holding the box and this condom while love will keep us together. I don't know. There was something about that image that just cracked me up and it's like, OK, I, I, I'm in at least for the start of this here. So it was fun. Yeah, you, you're right. It was just like. If you don't like this, you're not gonna vibe with it. Because it only gets more of the top from there. Yeah, I was trying to. Watch, I was watching the beginning of the movie, and I'm just like, "Is that vitamin C?" I'm like, "Nah." I was like, "2001." I'm like, that, "That might be vitamin C." And then I looked at the cast list, and I'm like, "Okay." I, 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 I was having this internal monologue with myself. I'm like, "I think that's vitamin C." And then I looked it up, and then I looked over to my wife, I'm like, "It is vitamin C." She's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> Vitamin C and Cisco, like two musical artists that like you just don't hear about anymore. <laughs> like I, don't know I didn't not know they're who, not around anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had heard of Cisco, but I Vitamin C. I was like, who is that? I don't know who that is. She had that like one big like graduation Friends Forever song yeah. that like everybody you know it. Uh, you've it was heard like it at some you've point. heard it. Yeah. You know yes. it probably. Yeah. And the thing is, I graduated in two thousand from college, so I'm old. And 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 so the thing is, I was at the height of my movie my movie snob era while Mm. this movie came out. So I was watching through I was watching through um, uh, the AFI Top 100, you know, and getting trying to get my classic movie uh, education in order, and you know, and watching Ebert and Roper and only watching the movies they gave two thumbs up to and thought were masterpieces and everything else was shit. You know, that's kind of, (laughs) that's who I was. And I hate that I was that. I am definitely not that anymore. So you definitely have uh, my dinner with Andre on DVD somewhere, don't you? I don't, but I have seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen it and I thought, well, this is good. But now I prefer, I'd rather see, uh, right now, I'd rather see the movie that uh, the guys from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl made, My Dinner with Andre the Giant. That just sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So the Cisco movie wasn't exactly on your radar uh, in 2001. No. No. And I I still don't know who Vitamin C is, but I'm sure I will, um, I'll look up that song and go, oh, that song. She's primed for a comeback. Okay. <laughs> calling it now. Well, <laughs> everything comes around again, right, Kate Bush? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, So there you go. All right. So where did you want to go with this conversation? Because we can go anywhere you like. Um, but uh, would you like to continue digging through the cast here? Like talk about any particular like connections you have with them? Are there any like particular scenes that you absolutely need to highlight michelle all of them all of them i mean i'm prepared to go linear on this if you want to go front to back on get over it we absolutely can (laughs) like i said i didn't really take any notes though so uh, 
Well, you apparently know it like... well enough to present it in an entire <laughs> Twitter thread. You know, so. I cheated on some of that. Okay, not gonna lie, because oh. I couldn't. Once we got really far into it, it's like it's hard to remember all the really good stuff. But yeah, okay, so like you said, like just the energy of the movie, I think sometimes is just something that you really kind of need, and it's and I think it's actually really smartly written <laughs> kind of in a way because it's like some kind of weird humor that other teen comedies didn't really have at the time this is a year after bring it on you know it was huge and i think it has a little bit of that like it's it's kind of dirty sometimes but it's also just really odd and it's mostly comes about through the performances and the way that everybody especially martin short is like so committed to the characters that they're playing um desmond forrest oaks um is the uh theater uh director teacher and just like all the little stuff that he does in the way he says it like even when um he's he's walking down the hallway one time and a kid like walks in front of him he's like excuse me i'm a teacher thank you (laughs) you know he just like he fills that egotistical like role so so well i could pr- pretty much quote like everything that he says <laughs> in this movie i remember what the great bobby de niro once said to me <laughs> well not me i read it in an article uh, <laughs> when god blesses you doesn't mean you don't have another, have sneeze, another coming. sneeze coming <laughs> i i wrote i i wrote that i wrote that line down that's like the only note i took on this movie was that one <laughs> Because I thought Just that, that, was funny. that line. <laughs> that line. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Did anything like that stand out to any of you guys? Like any of the actors or lines or something? There was a, I think it's that same scene where he's walking in the hallway, Martin Short. And it's not something he says, but he does that turnaround and he gives that look to, I forget whoever he's talking to. Just his look, like his facial expressions were getting me in this, but, uh, I do love the uh, audition portion where he's yes. sitting in the uh, in the seats. That's probably his. That that was my favorite uh, little block of Martin Short in the movie. It was pretty spectacular. Projection, Mr. Burke. <laughs> Projection. <laughs> hey, Petey, cool shirt. <laughs> I really love that. I mean, he has his favorite picked out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everything Martin Short did in this made yeah. me laugh in some ways. A lot of it, I. I suspect was likely improvised because um, there's just occasionally just these like lingering takes of him where it's like there's nothing really going on this the like the cinematography isn't really motivated in any real way it's just we're just gonna hang out with Martin Short and let him <laughs> let him do his thing for a few seconds and he'll make something of it and of course he does like there's there's a couple of scenes during the rehearsal process where it's just like, I'm pretty sure they just let him have fun. <laughs> and it, and it well, worked out. There's a couple of like pairings in the movie. I mean, obviously I love Susie Kurtz and Ed Begley Jr. As, oh, yeah. um, oh God. Yeah. as the parents, but then also Martin Short and whoever plays Jessica, his assistant. They oh, are yeah. so fucking funny together. <laughs> I just, oh my God. I enjoyed every little interaction with them. Keep icing your front bum. Swelling continues when you don't ice. I need you. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, that, that was a nice bit. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I'm probably just going to quote it if, every time you guys bring up something. <laughs> Getting like two actors like Susie Kurtz and Ed Begley Jr. Though, as his parents, um, they are so funny on their own, you know, and then together they're they're just they're absolutely perfect and they're really fun parents <laughs> in this movie they, they host a uh, 
a uh, relationship advice TV show, <laughs> Love Matters, and their guest, and then there's Coolio. And the only, the only scene that you'll see Coolio in the cast list, but he is literally only there to go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Well, it's like. It's like uh, Carmen Electra, too. I mean, she comes out and she has about three seconds of screen time. I mean, before. Behold my majestic corseted song. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of bamf in and out. But um, yeah. the, the parents of uh, Sweezy Kurtz and Ed Begley Jr., they uh, they really understood what they were here to do. Like yes. they they yeah. un- they read those roles and were like, oh, yeah, I, I know what I know what we need to do with this. And they really like. They really stick the landing with it. Like they they stick to it, and it's almost like a running gag throughout the film. Just how blasé they are about all this craziness going on. They just keep. Right. They're like almost in their own little alternate realm that they just pop into the movie every once in a while. It's like what? Sure. You, really? You don't have any reaction to this? Okay. Just... Oh, sorry. I had a question. Um, so this movie is supposed to be based off a of Shakespeare play, and then Ten Things I Hate About sort You, of. I think, is. Okay, then, yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You is loosely based off the taming of the shrew. Mm-hmm. Was there any other, like, teen comedies that were based, loosely based on Shakespeare plays at the time, or was it just those two? Well, it wasn't a comedy, but they did Othello. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. Oh, yes, oh. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> oh, that, yes. that, was, that was brought back Julia Stiles. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, it, it kind of makes me wonder. Was Julia Stiles originally supposed to be the Kirsten Dunst character? I don't know. Oh. Um, just because that seemed to be kind of her thing. was She was going to be the Shakespeare remake girl. Um, sure. <laughs> there's a, it's not a teen comedy, but there's a version of Macbeth that I saw this last year um, called uh, Scotland PA. That's sort of a strange comedy uh, slash... It basically it sets Macbeth into burger joint, and uh, sure. it's pretty amazing. It's got Christopher <laughs> Walken in it, and yeah, I liked it, that movie a lot. Uh, so there's lots of nice weirdnesses out there, sort of the Shakespeare remake realm around this general time. So loose remakes. It was definitely yeah. in the air. I mean, yeah, had, was mm-hmm. it Boz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, which was Yeah. Like that one actually that. used the text though. Yes. Where yeah. none of these other ones use the text. So, this one I I, I guess it sort of uses the text cuz they're actually putting on a show of The Midsummer Night's Dream, a musical extravaganza version. Of it. <laughs> a mi- no, it's a Midsummer Night's Rock and Eve. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Midsummer Night's Rock and Eve. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of try to stick with the love trapezoid that's happening, you know, within the story with like he's in love with her and she likes him, but she's the other first one is with somebody else and he doesn't realize yeah. that the other one likes him. But, you know, eventually that all yeah. ends up right in the end. <laughs> this one doesn't really take the plot of a Midsummer Night's Dream like no. the other ones do, you know. Because Ten Things I Hate About You is pretty much the plot of Taming of the Shrew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, and then of course you had Shakespeare in Love, which was doing the Romeo and Juliet riff mm-hmm. as well. So, anyway, uh, but anyway, that wasn't a teen comedy either. So, what am I saying? But this one, I think, does it in a pretty clever way by making it not really 
the same as 10 Things I Hate About You, but sort of evoking some of that goodwill, I guess, <laughs> because that movie was pretty popular. I, I have, well, I'm happy about it because it, you know, sort of, I'm Tacoma area guy. So, <laughs> so I, I briefly worked at Stadium High School. So, so, you know, getting to walk around and say, hey, I've seen this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they have a scene at Gasworks in that one? They did. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's go out for the afternoon, you know. <laughs> Two and a half hours away from yeah. where we are. <laughs> Way um, up there. <laughs> <laughs> so there are all kinds of things like that. But, you know, hey, it's a movie. That's what movies do. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, the music store that Cat uh, buys, and we're talking about the wrong movie here, but the music store that Cat <laughs> buys her, her uh, guitar in and stuff like that and where she uh. hits the guy's car outside of Gill's. They kept the stickers in that window for a long time. That was the Ted Brown music by where my mom used to work. So that was kind of fun to go in there. I frequented that store all the time. So that was sort of fun. That's pretty good. Anyway, cool. but we're not talking about 10 Things I Hate About You. We're talking about <laughs> well, Get Over but It. But that would be a good um, segue into talking about the musical numbers that happen in this yes. movie. Well, what would you guys have to say about that? I, I love them. I think they're a lot of fun because like the joke is that um Forrest Oates thinks he's this amazing, you know, uh songwriter and uh, theater guy or whatever and the songs actually actually suck a lot, but they're fu- they're still funny and they're still kind of on the nose like in a way that would maybe make you enjoy them because I like the opening one for like when they do the final performance and it's you know did you ever read a Shakespeare play (laughs) yeah never understand a word they they say say. (laughs) (laughs) which is actually kind of smart I mean that's a good way to get people you know into Shakespeare maybe is to do it in a fun way like this um but then there is actually some really good ones. Like, um, okay, I don't know the song very well, but is the Captain and Seal song, is that Vitamin Z singing? Because it actually... I don't think so. I, I, looked, like I looked in the, I looked in the, the credits. When I was watching the credits, it said it's performed by the Captain and Tennille. That's what I thought. Okay, so I she's like, just lip syncing. Yeah. 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 No, I, I don't remember her sounding like that. Uh, uh, because, like Michelle pointed out, the graduation song is basically right. how myself and most people know Vitamin C's voice. And yeah, yeah I that didn't strike me as her actual voice there. And then I didn't obviously didn't do great um, research. Um, is that Kirsten Dunst singing? <laughs> I believe it Either. is. I think. Uh, it I is. think yeah. it sounds yeah. like her. It does sound like. I had her. to mute it because <laughs> <laughs> doesn't she sing in uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous too? Uh, oh, I, can't I think she if does. Sings. I don't know if she sings in that one, but she definitely sings in Spider-Man Three. That, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, and we watched that recently, so that's why I was like, "Yeah, I think Is that's her bad? voice." No, um, she. I actually, I actually had to look into this because I, I was very curious, like what her background with with vocal training or singing is. Because in Spider-Man Three, there's there's a thread in in actually all the Spider-Man movies that she's not supposed to be a super talented singer, like she's supposed to be a little bit weak in that area. Uh, so the performance actually 
aids in that a little bit like she does lose like a like a major was it like off-broadway role or something because she's secondary to someone else um so it actually kind of works there it's it's kind of meta in that way but uh so i was curious if like she actually had vocal training like is this a thing that she was doing and it sounds like she kind of did like she did some singing and she was definitely tied in with the music industry like she was in a lot of music videos and she did record songs for movies mostly during a like a stretch in the 2000s but i'm curious if it maybe it was just like an entertainment industry pressure kind of thing probably where where like maybe she was kind of nudged in that direction just because it was the style of the time or something you gotta be Um, a triple threat yeah i'm trying to be one of those triple threat people yeah yeah you know like a mandy moore or jessica simpson or something from the 2000s (laughs) I think she does okay in this. <laughs> I thought she did okay. I didn't. I yeah. didn't mute it. Like I wasn't blown. Away. I wasn't <laughs> I was like, blown nope. <laughs> away. But it is a very sweet song, and it yeah. is worth pointing out that I, well, again, I, I the lyrics are bit. very nice. I like the song that she sings. The one that she wrote for the final performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cringy for me when people sing when they're not supposed to be singing, and it felt like that moment in the movie. Like it just oh. felt like somebody was singing when they weren't supposed to be. See, so. I, I know that exact feeling, Kyle, where there's like a pregnant pause and then somebody leans forward and just, oh, it's like, oh, it's like, oh no, we're doing this now? Nobody told me about this. Nobody I said don't, there would be singing, damn it. I don't know. I don't know if I told you this, Trevor, but um, I, I can tell you folks, uh, we were at uh, my buddy's wedding last year. And uh, he and his wife were coming out on the floor in front of everybody to do their first dance. And it was supposed to be Taylor Swift. They were going to dance to a Taylor Swift song. Well, uh, they were having trouble getting the, the music going. So they're kind of just standing there ready to go. Like they're just in their stance ready for the music to go. And it's like a good two minutes we're just standing there. And uh, they're sitting there waiting. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the wedding planner for that day, who that's a whole other story, uh, her deal. But... <laughs> She started singing a song from Wicked, uh, just out of nowhere, and we're like, "Are you kidding me right now? No music, no music, nobody wanting her to sing." My buddy's like, "Stop, stop singing!" Uh, just <laughs> singing out of nowhere. Oh my! It no. was one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life. So when Kirsten Dunst started singing, that feeling kind of rushed back. So I don't necessarily know if, if it was just me projecting onto it but that's why i had to mute it was because it was it was bringing back those feelings you were uh, you were martin you were martin short flashbacks. during that scene you're like what, what's happening right now <laughs> who let her do that <laughs> but um I'm not to not to trample the mood or anything but i'm gonna kyle maybe you can follow along with this like maybe you'll get where i'm coming from with this but michelle the 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 opening number like curtains curtain curtains open and everybody's on stage they do their big opening number something about the sequencing of the editing like the timing and just the the general vibe of it really made me think of the adams family movie when 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 (laughs) the kids do their like saccharine sweet getting to know you uh, musical number and they keep cutting back and forth between the crowd and the kids, like, dancing on the stage. I don't remember that. <laughs> okay. So well, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, then. But for something about it, just reminded me of that, where it's like they keep cutting back and forth between the crowd reactions. And, like, the Adams Family, of course, is just, like, 
crestfallen they're just like what what am i doing (laughs) but then like like their neighbor has this like involuntary like smile twitch going on where it's it's like it's like impossibly catchy so it's even winning him over and stuff but that was just me like kyle did you did you pick up on that at all i'm guessing for the for the the opening number yeah uh i don't remember the opening number of the uh, play i don't recall now, question for a, a... I'm going all over the place, I'm sorry, but question for, like, the, the horror heads in the room. I, I, I want to say, to some extent, we're all into horror, although I'm probably the least, honestly, in, ter- in terms of overall enthusiasm for the genre. Was Puck the kid from Jason X? I think so. Yep, it is. Yeah. Uh, sure. He's, also, he's yeah. also in Harriet the Spy, and he's also the weird little... Put your hand down, little Steve, uh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> little Steve, that's right. <laughs> That was a great line delivery. <laughs> He's also that funny pot de- 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 uh, pot dealer and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Oh, I haven't seen that one so long. I, but... he's, he's just one of those actors I just know from childhood. Like, I, I just knew him from Harriet the Spy. So when I kept seeing him and things, I'm like, oh, it's that kid. So I mean, as he, soon as I saw him, he has a guy, look. Like, like yeah. he's, he kind of sticks out. <laughs> Little <Yeah>. Steve. <laughs> yeah. He's the one with the curly hair. Yeah. Really long curly hair. Yeah. No, Brian's like I don't remember. I, I think <laughs> I think I need to rewatch Jason X because you do, you, know, you really do. <laughs> I love Jason X. I mean, you guys, ju- you guys just did a movie with a Cronenberg acting role. I know, I know. So uh, that's exactly who I remember from that movie. I remember Kane Hodder and David Cronenberg. That's about it. <laughs> you know. Uh, I remember Kane Hodder breathing heavily and Cronenberg showing up for 10 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> Best movie ever. <laughs> well, David Cronenberg was like, I'm going to be, I'll be in your movies, but only if I get killed. So. I mean, I would do the same thing I if I had the clout. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get killed by Kane Hodder. <laughs> I was watching Jason X for the first time. I, I just watched it a few years ago. I'm like, is that David Miscavige? I'm like, oh no, that's fucking David Cronenberg. David Miscavige? Oh my God. <laughs> That would be crazy. Like he's not in movies. <laughs> no, I hope that would not. be really weird. Oh man. Um, yeah. Hey, I've got that whole Scream Factory Friday the Thirteenth set just waiting there for me to watch Jason X. So there you I'll, go. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. That's a that is a handsome set. Like it I, is. I have considered picking that up myself. Like they did a really good job with the the packaging on that one. Yeah. Although I do remember, like, was it like the initial printing of it or something had some issues with some of the discs or something? Uh, yeah, man, I got them and I got and they just replaced them. They sent them out and replaced them. It's not like Criterion where it's like you have to prove that you destroyed your first disc. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle, did you hear about that? <laughs> what? No. Uh, they they had some issues. I think it was with Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember and it, Kane it was issues. like the the Blu-ray or something like that had a printing issue. So they uh, said, okay, you have to. We'll send you a new one, but you have to send us a picture that you destroyed the previous the version. And so, <laughs> or Scream Factory is just like, oh, yeah, we'll 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 replace it. Here you go. And then Vinegar Syndrome is the same way. You don't even ask for it. It's like there was a problem with the color timing or something like that on the 3D edition of Flesh for Frankenstein. <laughs> and so they just, it's like, you ordered this here. Here's your, here's the reprinted copy. Vinegar Syndrome policies, whatever. Scream Factory is, oh, my bad, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, you don't even have to ask. 
whoever put out the godfather set um i i broke the first movie disc in there and they sent me a new one oh. trying to get it out i don't know the, the little paramount thing was yeah well i'm like, impressed i was just like hey it's just the first movie i don't need a whole new set just the, the, the <laughs> you, can, you gotta replace the, the, the godfather please yeah. and they were like yeah cool what's your address it's like thanks That's nice. <laughs> Criterion keeps releasing uh, movies that I want on Blu-ray, but they keep putting it in bundles. Uh, the newest one is uh, Lars von Trier's Europe Trilogy. I'm like, oh, I really want Element of Crime on Blu-ray. And they're like, you have to buy the other two, though. Like, would you just give me the single Blu-ray? Yeah. They probably will eventually. There's some, though, like, they're, um, they have Woman of the... Women, they used to have it in a set. It was... Uh, uh, I can never. I'm gonna mispronounce the name if I try and say it. But the director of Woman of the Dunes, uh, they he had two other movies in a set, and now you can only get Woman of the Dunes. You can't get the other two. And I'm like, but I want the other two now. So, damn it, Criterion! <laughs> stop doing the damn box sets. Let me have the option. Damn it, Criterion! Exactly. Stop doing such good work and give me the right work. Damn it. <laughs> Well, they're releasing targets, so that makes yeah. That that covers a lot for me. I mean, I'm just excited that that's coming out finally. on Blu-ray finally. Yeah, I saw that announced recently. Yeah. But where are we with Get Over? I don't know. Uh, Get Over I it do should have be in the question. Criterion Collection. I have a question. What is with the hot Australian girl? <laughs> Dorlin. I don't get it. Why is she in it? I don't know. Who? There's a there's a kiwi that shows up in the movie that she's the girl that's accident tr- prone. Yeah, they try ah, to set okay. her up with Burke with with Ben Foster's character, and they go on exactly one date, and then she kind of bamps out of the movie for a long time, and then and shows then she up. She at turns the end. out to be an oboe player in the pit orchestra <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that's, right. that's just what this kind of movie does. Like I said, it's just goofy and bunkers because it can be and. She's just because it's one of those things where she's playing against what you would think that the hot mm. person would be playing, right? True. Yeah. Like she'd yeah. be the hot one in the school, but no, like no one really wants to be around her because she, like, apparently, like chaos follows chaos everywhere. She goes, Dickie Bergwell has to take a crap standing up now because of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she's. I think her scenes are kind of funny, though. They <laughs> I are. I'll, I'll, I'll acquiesce to that. <laughs> so we ended up watching, I don't know, that new Julia Roberts, George Clooney movie. Uh, it's like a rom-com. My Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I just picked that up from the library yesterday for my wife to watch with. We, yeah. Just be careful. There is a teeth trauma moment in there. Oh, I, admit, yeah. I warned Trevor. Just be mindful. Okay. It pops up. But as long as it's not fingernail trauma, I'm usually okay. There was no disclaimer on this movie that you might puke from one of the scenes because the punch bowl vomit scene was one of the most repulsive things I've seen. My wife and I were both just like dry heaving. Like, this oh, that's is so, so disgusting. <laughs> I did look away. I did look away. It's funny. I well, I could watch the most extreme gore movie. I watched Terrifier 2 twice a couple days ago um, nice. and was like, okay. Uh, and then, you know, the puking and get over it just kind of is like, <laughs> yikes, man. There's like look chunks away. in it. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, it's one that's thing gross. to just have them drink it and be like, oh, that's gross. It's like, no, we're describing it to you. And yeah. You didn't get yeah. It. When it looks like egg drop soup and somebody verbally ah. mentions chunks, oh, <laughs> also sound effects go a long way. If you, if you get that toilet bowl sa- that toilet bowl drop sound just right, it's like, ah. <laughs> visceral. <laughs> it's like an Austin Powers when he drinks poop. It's a bit yeah. nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's pretty gross. <laughs> but hey, the 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 puke in the punch bowl advances the story. It does because that's how Cisco gets in the play. It, yeah, to be actually, with the woman he has a crush on, Mila Kunis, which who doesn't have a crush on Mila? Unbelievably Kunis? tight script. Speaking <laughs> speaking of fingernail trauma, you know, of course, Black Swan. Uh, Black Swan. Um, so yeah, we can tie anything together. I swear. Yes, we can. That's just what we do. Um, but it's yeah, a podcast. Mi- this is this is me. Mila Kunis early, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So she was like 16 when she started, 15 or 16 when she started on that 70s show. Yeah. This yeah. is 2001, so I she's probably like 18 or 19 in this movie, honestly. Like, That's yeah. amazing, yeah. Um, I had a question, though, about the original story because there's something that I've noticed in movies sometimes. I've talked about it with Trevor. Um, I think Lou Gossett Jr., James Woods, boxing oh, movie. Digstown. 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 Uh, is I noticed I think it's a uh, Bruce Dern in that movie. I joke has a crush on his son. He's just one of those dads that's like super into his son. Uh, Colin Hanks's character is, I think, has a crush on his sister in this movie. Uh, I think. <laughs> I, and I wanted to ask. <laughs> he's very protective. Yes, yeah. he's very protective to the point where he punches his best friend. I'm not now. I was wondering, is that? part of the story like is there like um in the original shakespeare adaptation is there like a a riff between brother and friend or that's just something that we were just it was just something a movie trope that we throw in okay i wasn't sure (laughs) okay there's yeah the main plot of the movie really doesn't have anything to do with the midsummer night's dream as far as i can as far as i can see which was fine yeah because i mean yeah they're putting that's their show that's that they're putting on you know and hey that's about as many Shakespeare comedies are, uh, confusions about love, yeah. you know? So partners go from here to here to here. They miss each other, et cetera, et cetera. All that. Um, but, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not super familiar with the play, but, I mean, just through cultural osmosis, like, I'm aware that the fairies have a lot to do with, like, meddling with the yep. relationship in the, in the mm-hmm. play. And this movie almost seems to like deliberately skirt around that, where it kind of excises the fairy element from the plot altogether. Like because yeah. all, the, all the actors who are portraying the fairies in the in the in the stage production at the end of the movie are non-entities in the plot. No. Like they're just yeah. they're just over there, and then we have our main story going on over here. So it's it's like the movie's like acknowledging that it's mm-hmm. like yeah we, we're kind of touching this, but we're not actually doing it like we're acknowledging that this is maybe some of the framework but it's we're not adhering to it religiously or anything well it's kind of interesting because if anyone talks about midsummer night's dream the things they remember are the fairies and like the rude mechanicals bottom and the ass's head and all that other stuff uh and none of that is in this they focus on the on the part of the plot that people usually think is the boring part of Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> the whole love triangle, Lysander and 
whoever. I, I, I'm actually not that familiar with Midsummer Night's Demetrius Dream. Demetrius and uh, Helena and Hermia. Thank you. Yeah, because you know I've, I've read it. I had to read it in. Uh, but yeah, I read it in high school. I think. <laughs> I spend a, I've I've reread the tragedies like several times, like the major tragedies. I've read Hamlet, Macbeth, King Lear, etc. multiple times, but the comedies, I'm just like, eh, once is enough for me. Question about like Shakespeare adaptations. Uh, I oh, do you have any like legit uh, Shakespeare adaptation films like uh, Coriolanus or I tried watching Richard the mm-hmm. Third uh, with I I just couldn't get into it. Uh, just just that one in particular. But do you have a, a particular one that you like? I'm curious. That's like a, an official uh, yeah. Shakespearean language one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Orson Welles ones, uh, especially Macbeth and Chimes at Midnight are really, really good. Uh, Othello is good, but it's it's problematic because you have Orson Welles in blackface. Uh, is kind of, you know. Uh, it doesn't play is so so hot nowadays, <laughs> um, but the thing is, it's also a really really well crafted film. Um, they're looser adaptations, but I really like the Akira Kurosawa ones. Uh, Throne of Blood and Ron are both really 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 good. I mean, like I masterpieces. Yeah, they're they're the plots of Shakespeare um, with alterations, but they're Macbeth and and King Lear. Um, my gosh yeah and they're both masterpieces um he's he's so many i've watched i think zero of his movies but he's got so many i wouldn't even know where to start but now that he's got mm-hmm. shakespeare adaptations like that's kind of crazy yeah what no is the one with the really good cast and it's in black and white much ado about nothing i remember kind of liking that one yeah i also like the kenneth branagh ones the kenneth branagh um version of much ado is really good as well because you're talking about the uh joss whedon one right i think so i think that's what yeah. i've seen yeah yeah um i like uh Branagh's henry v and hamlet except hamlet hamlet's really good it's but it's the whole play it's four hours long and it's um it's got a few actors that can't really handle shakespeare like jack lemon is a wonderful actor but he can't handle shakespeare and he's he's got a small part in it, but then you have Robin Williams, who is surprisingly good. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. And, I'm and, writing this and, down. And, and Billy, cool. <laughs> Billy Billy Crystal as one of the uh, grave diggers is is nice. is like perfect. He's which really, one is this? Hamlet. Huh. Uh, the the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. Now watch it in sections because it's long, 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 long. I'm probably just going to find the Robin Williams part. <laughs> just watch that. Well, he's just at the end. He's during the the sword fight at the end. He's Osgard, Osgood, Osgood. Is that the character? I can't remember. Okay. Something like that. Uh, Peter Cushing played it in the in the oh. Laurence Olivier version. Jack Lemmon doesn't seem to have the right voice for Shakespeare. No, he's you know? he's one he's one of the guards. Yeah, he's one of the guards that sees the ghost on the tower and brian blessed plays the ghost which is pretty rad <laughs> oh that sounds awesome yeah <laughs> i mean if anybody can go big brian blessed's your man <laughs> yeah. is that kevin costner's dad in prince of thieves brian blessed oh, oh shit I, it's been so long since i've seen that i know brian blessed best from uh from well he's also 
He also plays. Uh, no, never mind. No, strike that. That's someone else. <laughs> Some other big uh, guy yeah. with a beard. Yeah, that was, I was thinking Robbie Coltrane plays uh, Falstaff in in Henry V. He's in about he's in about two minutes of that movie. Um, I think it's a different dude. Yeah, but um, Brian Blessed from uh, Black Adder. The it was a Rowan Atkinson British television show. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's one of the bird people in the yeah. Flash Gordon movie. There you go. <laughs> I still have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. To bring us back to get over it, uh, I had a question for Michelle. Uh, so, I, I, well, for the group, uh, plus Michelle. Uh, so, is this the best bad accent you've ever heard? Shane West's accent in this movie? <laughs> I was just about to ask about Shane West, yeah. <laughs> Is it on purpose or is it's it just the best? Okay, is this just it's, the best? I think it's absolutely do? on purpose. I think that's the okay. joke. Because <laughs> I mean, uh, Burke keeps like mentioning that to him. Like, what is with this like <laughs> stupid accent that he does? Like, you're beginning to sound like Mary Poppins. <laughs> and I really think he, the Shane West, is just overdoing it or just doing a really bad job at it on purpose mm-hmm. to try to be like that the the goofy. A uh, fun version of that character, you know. I thought it was gonna. Be, I thought it was just gonna trail off at one point, and he was just gonna be speaking with a regular American. That would have been. That would have been actually really funny if he had done that. If he had just lost it and like not, nobody said anything. <laughs> Maybe. Now he was in the boy band, right? Yeah, the, the boy band <laughs> at the beginning. That that's pr- the song that they're playing at the beginning. That was Love pretty Scud. funny. Love Scud. Yeah, I was getting. <laughs> I was getting Sweet some Tam good. Lads. Yeah. Sorry. I was getting some some real Josie and the Pussycats vibes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the beginning, whatever the name of the band is at the beginning of Josie and the Pussycats. That dies in the plane crash, yeah. <laughs> I was getting those vibes from that, and I thought that was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on board with that. Right, like that's so, the joke. And yeah. then he's a really good singer. He's actually not a bad singer, better than uh, Peter Wong, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> the main theater kid. <laughs> I just I like that joke where he does like just when he's doing the audition and it's like a really high voice and then immediately goes to right the, the love voice. it's it's so obvious like neither one of them is him yeah that's pretty funny that's pretty it's funny. pretty good they tricked me because I'm like oh wow this this person can really sing but then I heard the high I'm like okay they're not actually singing okay <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. got me yeah. um I was gonna say I when I remember, I remember. The one thing I remember from this movie as a kid was the end scene with Cisco, the Cisco number at the very uh-huh. end. Um, I guess I'd never really listened to Cisco, Cisco sing. He's not a very good singer. I'm, just, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's he's not great. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't watch it. I turned it off. I didn't watch the final. Cause I don't remember liking it a whole lot. <laughs> Well, it's got Carmen yeah. Electra in that scene, eh. looking looking pretty good. <laughs> like. Like Carmen Electra did at the time. Yeah. yeah that's literally, was, yeah. actually, now that I think about it, that's the same thing that Bring It On did at the end. But Bring It On did it way better. Because they did the uh, Mickey song, all the, oh, the actors. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Brian, it's funny. I'm going to have good. that song in my head now, though. Oh, and no. I had the song oh. from the end of Mannequin stuck in my head. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I love that song. <laughs> the, we can... That Starship song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. It's at the end of both movies, by the way. I just, I want you to know that. It's at the end of both movies. So I'm I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have that song stuck in my head for life. I've seen Bring It On once. 
I saw it when it came out on video back in the day, and that's about it. Never seen it. I might have to bring that onto the show sometime. Oh, no. I genuinely love it. Michelle. Michelle. (laughs) You get almost boobs twice. I mean, actually, I I wrote a quote down. Uh, There's a child in this movie that just points and says, tits. Tits. (laughs) 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 That was that was straight up. That was straight up hilarious. I'm not going to. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Kyle's like, what? At the Chinese restaurant. When she yeah. causes all the, the fire and everything to happen, and some girl's shirt gets <laughs> torn down the front, d- kid kid goes tits. <laughs> I feel like I could do like a an essay on just that scene, just because there's so much <laughs> weirdness going on in that like yeah. one minute of screen time. That's like, how did we get here? Like, what is this? Because like, so let me try to dissect it just a little bit. So we're we're in a like what appears to be a Japanese restaurant. We have the Kiwi gal, who, by the way, I did really like that little uh, montage or little flashback sequence where we actually explain why she's so hazardous and like what her yeah her right. her issue is. And then they have that like one line of dialogue saying like she was in a coma, which explains like the age difference between her yeah. and everyone at the high school because <laughs> yeah. she's been in a coma for years, but she came back to high school at some point. <laughs> um, anyway, they go on their date. And then uh, she, and this is a first for me. I have never heard, uh, was it Hava Nagila played on a shamisen before? <laughs> we're playing. That was pretty good. We're, yeah. we're yeah. a Jewish song yeah. on a Japanese instrument. And then she whaps a dude in the back of the head. <laughs> and it creates this cascading effect of like chaos throughout the restaurant. We get some CGI beef flying through the air yeah tits fire <laughs> and then to top it off we get like an, an iris out uh cut there's a, there's a lot of like borderline like star wipes in this movie yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> see and that's why that's why i like it so much that it is self-aware enough that it's mm-hmm. it's just it takes those leaps and just goes for it every time and I think it really works in that way. Like, and it does it in, it does things where it's like very obviously doing it in a bad way to make a joke. Like the, in the scene with, with Dora Lynn, when she gets hit by the car, where it's really obviously like quick cuts to a dummy, you yeah. know, <laughs> flying over. Or when she, uh, at the end of the final um, play, when she goes like flying out of her seat and lands in Felix's arms, like that's so unnatural looking. It's, it's really obvious in a way. So I just I always like a movie that um, I have a hard time sometimes with like spoofs. Um, those don't always really work with me. But if it's something like this where the comedy is just like it's really self-aware and it's really just kind of going over it and going over the top. Like that's when I, I really like it the most for some reason. I don't know. It works better for me in this way where it's just like, oh, we're just going to be doing this now. Sure. Why not? But it <laughs> that doesn't mixes cross the, the line into like yeah. scary movie territory. Or, yeah. Or I know you air airplane. I know you don't like airplane, which makes me so sad. Me too. I didn't say I didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> you just knew the whole movie before you watched it. Right. It's yeah. one of those like, yeah. cultural osmosis movies where it's like, when I finally yeah. saw it, I was like, I've already heard all these jokes before. But yeah, it doesn't go for, I mean, there's a, the puke thing or whatever, but it doesn't go for like really juvenile humor, which doesn't always work for me. 
uh, in there is the dog that keeps humping everything. Well, maybe it does go for juvenile humor, but it doesn't. It, it's restrained enough that <laughs> I can still enjoy it. I was gonna say the dog humping thing. That was the one thing where I was just I rolled my eyes. And I'm like, come on, yeah. you were doing you're doing so well. We had to do this. Yeah, I want to say it was just symptomatic of the time, though. Like, yeah, that's like what a really, lot of for sure. Like mm-hmm. the Farrelly brothers, you know, had several moments in the sun prior to this some of which involved dog stuff well and i definitely got when they did the opening musical number i kind of got something about mary vibes yes so i mean i I, that's what i hate i I know you do that's why i didn't want to say it but there is some some of that that was very popular so i mean so bringing in some of that into a teen comedy uh that you know this uh, it's edgy and it's it's R rated, right? Get over it. It's not PG thirteen, so. right? Um, Is it one of those that has like a PG thirteen and a rated PG-13. R version? It, oh, really? Nice. Okay, wow. so so it's it's cutting pretty close to the edge of that, though. I Very. Think it feels like. Um, so for some crude sexual humor, teen drinking, and language, <laughs> and tits. <laughs> <laughs> Not not actually seen on screen, but that kid, <laughs> that kid had one line, and damn it, these pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> these pretzels are making me thirsty. Well, and to quote uh, the aviator, who doesn't like tits? So exactly. Anyway, <laughs> and to quote my co-host as well, she she tends to quote that line a lot too. Uh, so <laughs> I like that moment. Good moment. It is. A good moment. Can it was maybe my biggest laugh in the whole movie. Just the timing of. <laughs> And, and just how blunt it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, because this movie also does things like the they're not, some of them are like fantasy sequences of Burks, and some of them are just like oh, we're just gonna randomly go into this fake forest, you know? That's obviously like kind of part of the they're wearing like their play costumes mm-hmm. and everything, or, or just to kind of. I don't really know what the point of them is. To, <laughs> whatever he's, whatever f- fears he's having about Stryker or whatever. Um, there's some, there's just more, more opportunity for funny moments, I think, in, in those sequences. There's no sword fighting in this play. Well, now there is. <laughs> well, now there is. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that because it gave me an excuse to see uh, Ben Foster throw hands. Something yeah. that I appreciate. Yeah. Like, Kyle, Kyle I, I owe a lot of credit to for Alpha Dog for allowing me to oh. see Ben Foster cut loose on a party. <laughs> like, that, that was incredible. <laughs> One of his greatest moments is him playing a that. Jewish neo Nazi, jumping, running into a house party, and just beating the shit out of people it's Sweet. pretty incredible yeah yeah no, you know, it's I that. funny i recognize the name ben foster but i didn't really i and i still frankly don't really know who he is what? have you seen 30 days a night i was say 30 days a night i, I saw it once many many what ago. Oh. Yeah. oh watch it buddy again. watch it again watch <laughs> you need to watch it again i know people tell me that <laughs> it's excellent wasn't he on a, a TV show from, like, when I was a kid? I think he was one of those kids. I don't remember which one. Growing Pains. <laughs> one of those kids with the face. <laughs> no, uh, Family like Matters. Where he was, like, best friends with this girl. Uh, DuckTales! <laughs> um, I can't. It's one of those. Uh, <laughs> no, he was not Huey, Dewey, or Louie. I don't think, uh, anyway. Three Ten to Yuma. What's the one that we did with Randy, uh, with Randy Quaid? Jesus, <laughs> 
Dennis Quaid. Flash Forward. Does anybody remember Flash that forward. show? Uh, mm-hmm. Right over my head. Yeah. Okay. It was only on for a year, apparently. Okay, so. <laughs> Pandora. There, there, there was a lot of children's programming that, that only lasted a year that somehow like <laughs> sticks out a... in my mind as being important. <laughs> it was on Disney Channel. I remember watching well, it. <laughs> I, I still have fond memories of Misfits of Science from when I was a kid, so I get it. Yeah. That That show lasted like eight episodes. And I remember every single one of them. So. We all have memories <laughs> like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Courtney Cox was in that, pre-Friends, yeah. It was, it, was be- it was between the Dancing in the Dark video and Friends. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what, it was, what, Jennifer Aniston had Leprechaun and she had, she had a... a she had Misfits of Science, and she had right. Misfits of Science, you know? I mean, come on. And uh, Mila Kunis had Santa with muscles. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just to cap off Ben Foster, I guess. I've always really liked him. Um, the There's a movie called The Program that sure. uh, he plays He plays Lance Armstrong, and I feel like it played to a lot of his strong suits. Uh, he plays intense very well, and as I said previously, physicality. Oh, I saw that, where he plays yeah. Lance Armstrong. It's about the cheating thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. No, okay. I, I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he plays. He can do quite a lot, but like intensity yeah. and aggre- aggression yeah. and physicality are what I think of when I think of him. It was really funny seeing him in the Tom Jane Punisher movie as sure. that particular character because it it has it has like a manic like intensity to it, but like I'm used to him being so I don't know more powerful. Like to see him scaled back in that way was. Really fascinating, but I guess that was pretty early in his career too, though. Sure, yeah. I mean, he he's not a household name. Like, like as 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 much as you know, some studios or execs probably think he is. Like, I I don't think he puts asses in seats. I'm just always happy to see him. He's just one. No, of those I got guys. you. I got you. Yeah. I have a lot of I have a lot of people like that. Like, hey, like Pat Hingle in uh, in Maximum Overdrive. He's one of those guys for me. So. Hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. <laughs> Anyway. I definitely go through phases where I find an actor and then I'll just watch whatever I can find from that person, no matter what it is. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It is fun. It's fun to do that. So I didn't really have anything more like in depth or whatever to say about Get Over It unless anybody else uh, had something they wanted to highlight. Uh, it's just, it's a fun movie and it's, it brings me joy. <laughs> It's very fun. It's very colorful. Um, One thing I will toss out there is that I did take notes for this, and I will say this much. The the style of editing in this film is maddening (laughs) for if you're taking notes, because we spend five ten seconds in any given location at any in any given scene. We're just Mm -hmm. we're just jumping all over the place. (laughs) It's like, damn it. How many paragraphs am I going to have to write here? Um, but as a, as just like a experience, it it has some filmmaking qualities to it that I really appreciate. Um, that actually this is going to bleed over into our next movie. That just some of the style of editing and cinematography. There's there's little flourishes here and there. That even though it seems like it's mostly just style for style's sake, it it keeps up the momentum and mm-hmm. it gives it it gives it a a vibe and an energy to it that it doesn't allow you to ever get bored so even if you're even if like it's not 100 percent working for you at least it's moving mm-hmm. and at least there's an element of dynamism and care uh being incorporated in the editing 
something that I didn't get as much out of in the next movie. Um, but that that's a compliment that I can pay to this movie. And actually, this director isn't like super well known to me. We didn't talk about him, but uh, Tommy O'Haver. I don't really know him uh, right. at all. Ella um, Enchanted. Exactly. Um, see, I only <laughs> saw that movie like a year or two ago. Um, and that is a guilty pleasure movie from my girlfriend. Uh, and she was the one that introduced me to it. And uh, stylistically, there are a lot of similarities. Sure. Um, even even just the, the song choices, honestly, the, the overall vibe of the soundtrack, it has some similarities to this one. And also stylistically, it has kind of a like a, a pastel, bright and colorful, like very, very campy vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I would say that Ella Enchanted is... I went into that expecting it to be dog shit, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually yeah, it's good not movie. bad." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This is I fun. agree." I like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this guy has at least two movies that you can say are, are pretty solid. All right. Yeah, yeah. So it was nice to go backwards through his filmography a little bit and kind of see see the influence bleed over into the next project. Well, I'm glad I could introduce both Trevor and Brian to get over it, and now you have it in your lives forever. <laughs> You're welcome. The gift of get over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess uh, we can wrap up get over it then. Let's shift gears. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Perfect. That was yeah. a perfect segue. <laughs> that was. Uh... <laughs> so we go from a director that has at least two movies to a one and done. One and done. Directed by the one and only Stephen King at the height of his hubris, his powers, and his cocaine habit. Cocaine habit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cocaine. Yeah, this, this movie, he has said, this movie was not made by Stephen King. It was made by cocaine. And that is so very true. Yes. Oh, man. But I, I got to That's say, why we love it. Maximum Overdrive. I mean... <laughs> This movie is 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, 50% audience, which, uh, what's wrong with people? This movie's fantastic. Amazing. Doesn't make uh, any fucking sense at all, (laughs) but is... (laughs) I I actually read up on, I actually kind of read up on this, and the reason why it has such poor ratings is because, a lot of people don't know this, Charlie Sheen was on set a lot visiting Emilio, and he kept giving Stephen King coke, and he never paid him back. So, uh, <laughs> so he, so basically, Charlie Sheen was uh, convincing people to give it such bad scores. Look it up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, I don't. This is based on. I have. Have has anyone ever read the story that it's based on? I've never ha- read it. I've never read Trucks. Mm, trucks. I have um, not. I don't think I. What collection is it? I in? think it's in Night Shift. Let me look. I was gonna ask if you are a Stephen King fan, Brian, but I think I already know uh, the answer. Thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, folks at yeah. home, if you're, I mean, you're only getting audio here. Brian just like casually rolled back to his bookshelf and just instantly. He didn't even know. He didn't, I, even he didn't even look. He, he could have done it blindfolded. Yeah. He could have just picked that yeah, up. Just there. by touch, he knew the spine. He just yanked well, it the off thing is, <laughs> the thing is, I have them in my chef on my shelf, not in alphabetical order, in chronological order. Oh, nerd. Oh, that's how it. you know you're serious. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Trucks is in Night I Shift. I don't 
I don't have mine there stored away, but yeah, I have pretty much every Stephen King book on hardback and in paperback. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Now there is another version. There, there is a movie based directly on trucks called Trucks, which I've never trucks. seen. I haven't either. Yeah, I have not seen it. I have not read the short story, but as Brian said, this is a one and done. Yes. Uh, this was Stephen King stepping up to the plate, uh, perhaps uh, wrongheadedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think this was a, a wise project for him to take on, um, but there was probably a healthy dose of hubris and quite a lot of cocaine uh, that helped propel this project uh, to the silver screen. Um, it's worth noting this is a a Dino De Laurentiis uh, mm-hmm. production. And if that's actually where the wrongheadedness, I think, in my mind comes into play, is I don't think pairing a an author, somebody who has this much of a cultural footprint, like someone as big a name as Stephen King, as a first-time director, pairing them with a a noted like powerhouse producer that has quite the ego. Yeah. Um, and... and is kind of known for throwing his weight around as well. I don't like that. That's terrible chemistry. If you ask me, well, Dino De Laurentiis had made several Stephen King adaptations before this one. So it was, um, uh, dead zone Firestarter, uh, cat's eye. There's an, another one in there somewhere, but those are all, and they were all, most of them were not all, the dead zone. Wasn't, but the others were filmed in Wilmington. Uh, North Carolina, where this was also made. And um, they came to him and said, hey, do you have another project? And he's like, oh, I've got something. And they were throwing it around and says, hey, why don't I direct it? And they said, okay. Um, Is this just because it just seemed like the next logical step, I guess, you know, to go from screenwriter to director. But Mm. um, sometimes that works in this case. It definitely works. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I I know that this is this is one of those movies that's just sort of. I know it's bad. I know it's not yeah. well well done. I know that there are lots of internal logic issues with it, um, but I unabashedly love this movie. Since I first saw it, I think I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but. It come out on video. I think we watched it as like a Boy Scout group at my parents' house. And it was just sort of like the steamroller. When the steamroller rolled over that kid's head, it's like, I'm in. <laughs> it was it was that kind of thing, you know, and the, the Coke cans flying out of the machine and Hey Hey there, sugar buns. <laughs> This machine just called me an asshole. An asshole. <laughs> like, you know, the, the first line of... And, and that's hubris, too. Stephen King giving himself the first line of dialogue in the movie. Um, <laughs> well, he's got to have his cameo. He's got to have his cameo, and you're not watching for it that way. And, and I think maybe deep down he knew, yes, he was an asshole at this point in his life. <laughs> um and some of the things that he managed to get, like he said, okay, I have this vision for a truck that's got the green goblin on the front of it. Why the green goblin? I like Spider-Man. I like comic books. I want the green goblin on the front of this truck. How are we going to get the rights to that? I don't know. Don't uh, don't care. Just do it. 
Yeah, I like ACDC. Let's have them do the soundtrack. I like Bruce Springsteen. Let's have him headline the picture. Oh, wait, I guess not. You're right. I didn't get a chance to watch this, so uh, I just kind of looked up. I didn't realize that Stephen King directed this, but uh, did AC like uh, did ACDC? Is it like throughout the entire movie? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. there's like uh, four. There's songs from beginning songs? to end. Yeah, they do Hell's yeah. Bells, uh, Who Made Who. It ends with "You Shook Me All Night Long," which doesn't make any sense, but is still nope. funny, and it's my favorite ACDC song, so I'm down with that. That's mine too. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, so, can I ask uh, you both what, what's your favorite uh, Stephen King novel? If you can, if you can get it there, or even your Bag top three, if that's easier. Bag of Bones. Mm-hmm. Mine is uh, The Shining, but um, I've also I. I was really, really affected by eleven twenty two sixty three. I yeah. thought that was a really, really great book. So, did yeah. you watch the Hulu series of that with uh, James Franco? Yeah. Was, I really liked it. Yeah, I've it never good. read the book, but I actually really liked the series. It's not as good as the book, but it's it's pretty well done. Yeah, I know. Bag of Bones is like later in his career, but mm-hmm. I always really liked that one. Or I also like um, Needful Things and The Dead Zone and Pet Cemetery probably be my top ones yeah yeah i'm showing my ignorance here but like i i don't have as deep a familiarity with his also text wearing cake. That, oh wow <laughs> i just noticed that <laughs> um but for me uh it's a short story but a uh, cycle of the werewolf I uh-huh. actually that's that one i actually one that, have not read <laughs> my my brother had a copy of it when we were kids and i snatched it and it terrified me when i was a kid <laughs> and i i freaking loved silver bullet when i, was I do a kid. too yeah. So, good Gary Busey, Kyle. Good Gary Busey. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and Corey Haim. Yep. And, and Corey Haim. I read The Shining when I was a kid and Misery. I, I really remember Misery, probably the best mm-hmm. um, of those. But yeah, I haven't read. I Sorry, I was rude. I went to, in the other room to take a picture because my wife has a bunch of Stephen King novels. And I think we have 10 on the bookshelf. And that's only <laughs> half of our bookshelf in the other room. Sure. I just wanted to see what we had. Um, but Brian, like, like, just to be clear, I don't hate this movie. Like, I'm not shitting on the movie. I actually oh, I quite know. like this. No, I, I just I, wanted to make it known that I'm not prefacing things by like leading up to this grand hey, reveal. That I hate hey, this I, I get it. I get it because you know what? I mean, I I know this movie has legitimate issues, <laughs> but yeah. I find it thoroughly entertaining every time I watch it. And it Me too. it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Uh, honestly, the movie was remade and frankly the story rewritten much better with the mist. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, they, they bear a lot of similarities. <laughs> um, so, but they're essentially the same story. You get a bunch of people, a bunch of crazy characters. You know, it's a siege film. You know, you're stuck inside mm-hmm. this one location for. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle loves one location movies. This isn't entirely that because there are other things as well. Yeah. There's other parts of the town, but um, it's the siege movie, and so you've got this threat outside, and you have to work together to overcome it and that is you know it's sort of classic if the trucks are killing everybody why don't they just siege on them right at the beginning and how do they do they think do they know that they're going to need fuel eventually <laughs> that's one of the things that always kind of bothered me about this <laughs> but i don't care could 
<laughs> Could somebody give me a plot summary of the movie? Um, right. Such as there is. Um, <laughs> basically, there's a group of... of uh, okay, uh, the Earth passes through the tail of a comet. And the machines, the machines of the world start, well, at least of Wilmington, North Carolina, start to take over and they run by them, begin running by themselves. Okay. And so you have um, these folks at a diner, they end up, you know, there's a newlywed couple that ends up there. There's the people that work in the diner already. There's um, this kid who uh, was at a little league game and they were attacked by a steamroller. And so he escapes. And Coke cans. <laughs> and he, uh, he makes his way there. And they all, um, it's the Dixie Boy. So they're all inside this, uh, it's like a, it's a truck stop. So there's gas and there's food and all that stuff going on. And these trucks are just kind of encircling them, keeping them captured inside here. But, well, the boss played by... Why? I don't know. There is no why. <laughs> Who cares about the Why? It's a metaphor. They have a drug habit in the form of gasoline. Yeah, <laughs> they even make reference to pushers. It's in all it. about capitalism and crap. I don't know. Yeah, it's some, something something eighties. I don't care. Some, Again, something yeah. something guns are bad, but they're good too. You know, something some yeah, guns that's... are bad, but bazookas are good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, um, I have the same thing though. I, I, I don't really mean it. I just I'm just asking the questions. Just I know you I, are. I, I love this movie. Are. I get it. I get it. But you know, so they're it's basically them trying to figure out how to overcome the trucks, escape, and uh, survive. And the Green Goblin truck is the boss of the trucks. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the thing is, but the thing <laughs> is, if it just passes through. Okay, another question that comes up at the end. Was it the tail of the comet dust, or was it the UFO that the Russians shot? Was it down? the UFO? And it's like, <laughs> Kyle. Well, it's like this information is like, what? Well, because <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, okay. Emilio Estevez's character has that thing that he says to the I don't remember anybody's name. Um, he says to the chick like, I mean, they're that they're the broom or whatever. It's like it's an alien. Yes. Yeah force was going to come and we, would, we want someone to clean this place up first so that's yeah. basically what what happens so maybe the ufo aliens sent the comet to clean up the human race before they came and took over but the satellite shot it down first there you go okay. boom sure so, <laughs> no, what kind of satellite that happened <laughs> nuclear yeah weapons. yeah yeah, yeah. So what kind totally. of Emilio Estevez performance is this? The best. What? The best. Okay. <laughs> the greatest. Can you, can you describe this, this ruckus, is, please? This is Emilio Estevez playing John McClane. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. He's trying <laughs> really? to. Really? <laughs> he's not doing it quite as well. But, you know, he's that's the idea, man. So he's, okay. he's, he's, he's an ex-con. He's yeah. working in this diner. Uh, and uh, Pat Hingle plays the boss of the Dixie Boy. Who's like a right-wing um, military gun nut <laughs> survivalist guy, um, right? Or is he an arms dealer? I think he's an uh, arms dealer. He's an arms dealer, he's, so he's yeah. that too. He's a, he's a profiteer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Is this? Do you get some funny Emilio? Because I think the Estevez brothers are very funny. Yeah. So do you get some funny Emilio in oh, here? Oh, that's unintentionally funny. funny I it's think. sort of it's sort of. Uh-huh. Uh, 
that's the thing. The tone of this movie. I mean, the trailer is like Stephen King. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. But it's not scary at all. Okay? No. It's no. not scary no. in the slightest bit. It's funny. It's funny it's as hell. So funny. I swear it's it a is. comedy. Because t- tonally, it's sort of like. Because, uh, I mean, obviously, he worked with George Romero on Creepshow. Uh, it has some of that Creepshow vibe to it. It's sort of elements of it that are really, really funny. Um, so I think. If he if he went into this making it like this is going to be a serious horror movie, he didn't make it. But if he was <laughs> like, you know what, this is going to be a fun horror movie, he totally nails that. So, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, you have actors really committing oh, to yeah. their roles. <laughs> Yardley Smith plays uh, Connie um, and I think Connie has got to be up there with Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. as being one of the most annoying characters in horror. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Hit, I remember watching that for the first time in middle school. I'm like, I'm so glad that he's dead. Like, I'm so glad that Franklin is dead. He is obnoxious. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, here you have Yardley Smith with her her voice basically is he dead? like is he dead <laughs> curtis curtis get me out of here curtis if you make me a widow on my wedding day that yeah. scene when they're pulling her out of the car yes. after it gets flipped it's just like be oh careful my. with that just leave her just leave her in there yeah. <laughs> god yeah. that line delivery is very memorable though the like, curtis is he dead <laughs> <laughs> And just the fact that she's, like, cowering behind the car. Like, she's not willing to go over there to help him or anything. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, the the waitress, though, she... Uh, I think she gets the... We for... made, made you! you. We... Twice. And she does it twice. <laughs> yes. I think Stephen King was probably just tickled by her... her her dialing it up to 11. It was just like, just do it again. Like, <laughs> like just do that again. And this time we're going to shoot you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh... <laughs> it's like, it's her last day of filming. Let's just shoot her and get her out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Strap her up with some squibs, send her on her way. Is that kind of like the actress that does the, the bastard line in pieces? <laughs> like, that's her moment. <laughs> well, we I, you know what you. I love? One of the great cameos in this is Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. As yeah. the guy who gets shocked by all the video games. Yeah, he has like one line. Yeah. He's just in the movie for like one minute. But yeah, he's yeah. he's now like top tier in terms exactly. of like public profile. Yeah. He's a huge deal these days. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just like, oh, well, there you go. It was just it was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, is there a lot to this? Not really. Um, it's like we're going to uh, – I, I think it has a lot of memorable set pieces – like, one of the things that I think Stephen King has a visual sense. I mean, he can, um, he imagines, when he, he talks about his writing process and on writing, and it's very visual. He says it's all about what you see. You write what you see. And um, so I think that applies to some of the things that happen in this movie. Like, I love the part where the kid is just riding his bike down the street and the, sp- and the sprinklers come on. You know, and they just sort of come on one by one behind him and he turns around and they all turn off. You know, it's just like it's it's actually like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty good 
movie making, frankly. Mm. Um, now there's there's one in that scene as well. That's where the lawnmower starts up. Uh, now this was filmed late in in the process, as I understand. Yeah, there's a big story. There's here. a big story here. <laughs> Uh, he insisted for some reason that the blades be on the lawnmower. And unfortunately, uh, something got caught up in there and hit the, um, <laughs> the director of photography in the eye and he lost his eye. So oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of important for a person who deals yeah. with cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Armando Nanuzzi. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he did Maximum Overdrive, and he did La, La Cajo Faux, My Name is Nobody. He's, he, he did a lot of, he did a few really, some pretty well-known movies, even. Mm-hmm. So, Silver Bullet was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but, yeah, so that that's just one of those well and it created contention like it created a contentious environment on the set you think because that that was a yeah (laughs) you you lost a vital organ yeah or not a vital organ but you lost an organ congratulations also you objected to it like like it was the movie was co-directed by cocaine so like this is the kind of things that happen uh unfortunately but yeah as far as i know he did continue his career after that um, mm-hmm. I don't know how successful he was after that, but he did keep working. But I think he filed suit. Um, yeah, yeah. As as any any person would. Yeah. That's horrendous, honestly. But it's stories like that that actually are kind of they color the experience for me. Yeah. Because I still I enjoy this movie. Like, don't get me wrong. I saw this movie when I was very young. I remember being super hyped for this movie because there was a commercial for it on like TNT or something. And all they had to do to get me hyped for it was show me Emilio Estevez hip firing a rocket launcher at a truck and then seeing a big explosion. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but I need it in my life. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I came into this one super hyped. Um, and all these, uh, all these behind the scenes shenanigans and whatnot um, were, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to watch the movie now knowing how many issues there were between director and producer like that's that's the most interesting angle about the production history of this one for me is because i do think that just based on the inclusion of acdc and the green goblin truck i'm pretty sure stephen king did intend for this to be a fun movie yeah like i don't think i don't Mm. think a horror experience was ever the the intention so i don't i don't think in terms of tone there's any changes to the end product that were affected by the the producer's influence or anything but as far as i understand uh stephen king was kind of bullied a little bit like like he was pushed around a little bit he didn't exactly get to do things the way he would have preferred and the the point i was trying to introduce at the beginning of this discussion is is that like as an as an author you have an editor of course Mm -hmm but it's largely a solitary experience right like it, it's largely what comes out of you ends up on the page it's yours right like, like it's not a film where you have hundreds of hands touching the thing to get it across the finish line it's you mm-hmm. and and a few editors or something um so to be thrown into this radically different environment with dino de Laurentiis, <laughs> right. like saying like no we're doing this oh you want bruce springsteen no that emilia that estevez family is kind of killing it right now let's get one of them in here and it's stuff like that that pr- 
probably would be upsetting like to to have things changed against your will to have to have your baby taken away from you and in, in you know tiny slivers at a time well sure like pro- probably would lead somebody to get upset and maybe hit the cocaine in the bottle a little harder than mm-hmm. they ought to yeah and you know by this point in king's career i think he was pretty much um even didn't have much input from editors in his final novels yeah. by this point um oh he was top he was king of the world yeah i mean after the dead zone was number one bestseller it was sort of like okay blank check for the guy and um you can see that i mean there's a there's a distinct change in his writing after he gets real because i mean the early earlier books salem's lot the shining um the original version of the stand, the originally released version of the stand, they're really mm-hmm. tight. They are, they're cut to the bone. You don't have a bunch of uh, other stuff going on. Stephen King now, I mean, it's clear that he doesn't have a lot of people saying you need to take that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so some of his, some of his books are, um, to put it politely, long-winded. Though he has gotten better about it. He, I think he's. I think he started to self-edit quite a bit more now. Um, a lot of his his later, more recent. The recent stuff, tighter. you mean? Yeah, yeah. Some of it's a lot tighter. Um, so yeah. So. Whereas at this time we get like the Tommy Knockers, which is like what? What the? Yeah, fuck the Tommy are you Knockers is, about, is one of the biggest pieces of shit ever. I mean, it's terrible. It's a really, really bad book, and it's overly long to say the least you yeah. know and again you know written by cocaine, cocaine but then also you know cocaine helped write cujo and cujo is a tight 300 and is real and he honestly doesn't remember writing the book or tommy knockers so well, yeah. yeah well cocaine's a hell of a drug <laughs> i have a question about uh one of the, a stephen king novel i've seen the outsider series on hbo is that is the Outsider book worth reading? Would you Would you recommend that I one? I have it. I haven't read I it. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I have. It. I still got to catch up on a lot of his new newest stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. A lot of his. I I read almost nothing but for years and years and years when I was younger, like fifth grade to eighth or ninth grade. I read nothing but Stephen King. Mm-hmm. But same. Yeah. <laughs> but but now I I I don't read as much as i used to for one thing and then um stephen king is often a commitment um you know so i haven't kept up though i do i do own most of the new ones uh i got back on board with that i grabbed the institute like a long time ago and nope (laughs) i haven't even cracked it open yet (laughs) i've got the institute I, I, say, I did start the Dark Tower series. Uh, I read like the first two books of that, and then I just kind of forgot about them. I did the same thing, unfortunately. That is one. That's part a commitment. King I never, never got into, and I've never started the Dark Tower series. I, I've read them all, and my wife actually read them all, which my, you know, which is crazy because my wife, my wife does not do horror. And that's like more fantasy. <laughs> though, it is. It? it is, and so she she liked that. Um, so anyway, it's like a fantasy through if Sergio Leone, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know it's one of his more recent, longer-winded ones, but I actually really enjoyed Under the Dome. 
I have heard actually very good things about that. I, I remember I remember a lot of positive buzz when I came out. Yeah, then I was a little disappointed at the the series or whatever because the thing that was really fascinating about the book was that like, I guess the series is like over a longer period of time mm-hmm. or whatever. Because I was like, the thing that was crazy about the book was that they were only in the dome for like a week, and, it, <laughs> and, and everything why, just comes and still it, like, chaos goes into chaos. Yeah. yeah, one of the things exactly. about Under the Dome was I really liked it, and then they explained what it was and i was like oh god that's so dumb well <laughs> I was like, like, I'm not, used before i know i was just like Ugh. it just, <laughs> I, I, just I, talked about. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say what it was but i was just i was just <laughs> reading it and went this better not be this and right. then it turned know, out to be that and i was like still. fuck you and your damn stupid endings i hate the ending but of the that's... stand too the ending of the stand you know when it's a nuclear warhead it's like oh come on <laughs> God ignites a nuclear warhead. Yeah, a big old oh, finger from the sky. <laughs> it's like that's one thing Stephen King often doesn't know how to end his books. But he that's does not know the point. He, that's the, it's the I know, people. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I say this as a Stephen King fan. It's the journey. Yeah. Right? Well, it's here's the, the thing. Even Stephen King admitted that Frank Darabont's ending to the mist was better than yes. what he wrote. And it is. Because it was. And it is it such is. a divisive ending. I know people that just hate the ending to the mist. I but I'm love like, the ending of the mist. It's like, is there another? There's no other way to end that. I'm sorry. That is yeah. the perfect ending for that movie. Yes, it's bleak as hell. The story. The story and has no ending. And I know no the ending. kid who gets shot freaking, <laughs> you know, I know the actor personally. And so yeah. I saw when I see him die, it's like it's shocking. I see it? <laughs> well, you know, you 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 infer it. <laughs> you yes. Im- you imply it. Yeah, you understand it. Yeah. Okay. So um, well, the reason that ending is better because the story has no ending. It's ambiguous. Exactly. So, so. that's what kind of sucks about it. Yeah. Anyway, back to maximum overdrive and. Sh- Child death. Uh, we, we're child talking death. about child death and how this movie is like. Okay, we're good with that. <laughs> um, let's run one. Let's run. Let's shoot at some kids with uh, with uh, uh, coke cans, which I think is pretty wild. I mean, that's a pretty good effect. You know, all of a sudden mm-hmm. your vending machine, and that was a scary idea to me. You know, getting a bunch of you know a, a coke machine shooting stuff at you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it it touches on a lot of visceral fears sure. where it's like it's it's this, you know, open cavity in a in a something in an object that you encounter yeah. in your everyday life. And what's funny about this movie, I think the everyday life things are the ones that it's the part of the movie that freaks me out the most or freaked me out as a mm. kid the most. There are some of them that mm-hmm. don't even make sense, like when she gets cut by the 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 knife, the electric knife. First of all, how does that thing move on its own? I don't. It, it vibrates <laughs> vigorously. Yeah. <Just> like this. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, but but it turns on its own, and then it chases her along the floor and stuff. It's like I don't know if that's really logical. The vibration causes it to well, move. Uh, yeah. yeah, it it, uh, it vibrates with motivation. Okay, and but it, it's, I, I it's mean, just, and it thrusts <laughs> back and forth. But that did freak me out, though. The idea of okay, I'm gonna bit. That's what she said. Is that where you're going with? I was okay. waiting for it. All right. Come on. You said. <laughs> she was being polite. Said, she was leaving an opening for you. You said. 
you said <laughs> anyway um, I'm just gonna set that up for you <laughs> waiting for you to knock it down Brian but you're not listening clearly um, but I mean where she gets cut on the arm with that that really that was sort of like I yikes you know um, has anyone ever seen Possession uh, Kyle has own you it know, where he cuts him himself with the uh, with the electric knife too when I saw that obviously many years after seeing uh, maximum overdrive. It's like, okay, uh, that is a terrifying prospect, you know? Yeah. It's oh, also and from it's Nip relatable Tuck. in the, Oh, Nip. Did you say Nip Tuck, the TV show? <laughs> yes. They do that in Nip Tuck. <laughs> I don't know if it was the electric knife. Remember the one lady that cuts off her own boob No. in the middle of the, cause she wants to get, uh, because there's a fear, there's a fear of breast cancer in her family, and she wants she wanted to get a mas- mastectomy like beforehand, so she doesn't get it, and they won't give it to her. And so you remember that? <laughs> it's one of the later seasons. Wow. She's there. Okay, if you won't do it, and she goes into the waiting room and she cuts off her own boob. Anyway, back to maximum overdrive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, in the video games and all this, sort of the everyday things are the ones that sort of, um, that's the part of the movie that I really enjoy most, I think. When it gets to the trucks and stuff, it's just kind of like, okay, it's big trucks. Um, which, you know, fine. Um, but Well, yeah, like that scene where, the, where Deke is writing going back to that same scene where he's riding down the street and yeah. he's just like seeing all the dead bodies yeah. and you just, you think of all of the stuff that you encounter, you know, every day that could kill you, the hairdryer or whatever. That, yeah. Or the, 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 the lady the in the window. I mean, okay. This movie kills kids and it kills dogs. I mean, there's that dog with the police. I don't know how that worked with the, with the police, like radio control car in its neck. I think it's a play on a dog chasing cars, yeah. basically. Yeah. Where it, it caught it and look what yeah. happened. I never looked close enough. There was just a dead person like sitting on the swing on their porch. Like what yeah. killed him? I don't know. I don't know. There's also like a body in the bushes too that's like you don't really know, but I mean the the hairdryer one sticks out at me. Or just like one of my favorite like just random shots in this movie is the plane that's sticking out of the bus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a cool we idea. We have uh, an airport, like a small, um, small craft airport in my, like near me, like really close to me. So those, those kinds of small craft are always going over our house and everything. So that, that sort of, those kinds of planes do freak me out a little bit because when I was in high school, one actually crashed on like a main drag, uh, in, in oh, our town shit. and like landed crashing right behind someone I knew, like crashed into their car while, she, while they were driving. Oh, so shit. anyway, yeah, <laughs> she was okay, but you know, she had like some sort of injury, but not serious and <clears throat> boy, that's a cool story to tell. It is, yeah. And so, so just the what idea. What happened? Plane crashed into plane me. Plane crashed. I hurt my Damn. back. Yeah, you know how it goes. Um, so just that idea of uh, the, a plane, the plane that is chasing after him too. A little bit north by northwesty there too, but um, mm-hmm. you know. But it also touches on on the uh, machine's reliance on humans. Uh huh. Um, where it, it it not only is it just a cool visual a, a, a plane sticking out of a bus yeah. that's not something you'll ever see anywhere right. else but also it points out that 
it can't stay in the air forever. Right. It will run out of fuel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which calls back to the trucks needing the humans to refuel yeah. them because they don't they don't have opposable thumbs. Right. And, hands. <laughs> and thinking about the fuel too, the, the part where the gas stops working and the guy looks into it and it squirts in his face, that that freaked me out too when I was a kid. Part of it is mm-hmm. this is a jump scare, but it, it was just kind of... Well, the, the main thing is the music. Yeah. That that piece of music ree, that plays ree, the, the freak-out music. Ree, 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 yeah, ree, it's, uh, ree, it's, it's the psycho <laughs> music done on synths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious whenever it, it comes is. up on us. It is. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, maybe not the, the finest uh, scoring ever, but it's... Uh, it's memorable, and it gets a laugh. It's very memorable. <laughs> it gets a laugh, I think. So, no, I think it's terrific because yeah. it just it just flares up virtually every time something that should be intense happens. It's like the movie screaming at you, like feel something. <laughs> this is intense. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like the audio form of like the splash page like backdrops and creep yeah where it's, it's just like, it's like yeah, that's a good it's, it's a it's that mm-hmm. moment in kill bill where it goes Wee! yeah yeah totally that's a, that's that's good that's good yeah i wonder if uh one of the acdc guitarists or some like one of the people from the band actually composed that sting it like, could be because it i mean they're credited the with the score, the score and yeah. the soundtrack uh-huh. for the yeah. movie yeah so it could be I think that's very likely. Um, yeah. Composer Angus Young, Malcolm Young <laughs> are listed as the composers. Okay. So more than likely somebody hopped in the booth and, and went yep. <laughs> and said, oh yeah, first take, first try. We yeah. got it. <laughs> Moving and, on. <laughs> and who made who was written for this movie, right? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it, I imagine. Well, because I mean, that's the, um, the line we made you. Her, yeah, yeah that's, so. <laughs> that's like maybe the one like deep thing that you could get from the semi-deep that you could get from this movie about you know the reliance on machines, the reciprocal relationship, and yep. you know, and they're yeah. they're stuck in the diner, and there's no there's no lights, and there's no air conditioning, and that kind of stuff. You kind of realize you kind of gotten used to all the mm-hmm. the comforts that machines provide us. Sure. Yeah. No, I I I think that's probably the the strongest like theme if you're if you're gonna pull like pull on anything. But I'm I'm curious, being as you you two are much more knowledgeable about King's bibliography and whatnot. Um, uh, I detected a lot of Kingisms in this movie. That, as as loose as some of the direction in this movie is, like the biggest one, like one the dialogue. Oh yeah, a lot of it feel it feels Kingian. The biggest King thing in this movie, though, to me, is the Bible salesman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Bible salesman also feels like the mist, where you have a religious, yep. like a. Sudden, suddenly religious zealot in in a confined space yeah. ordering people around um but actually the biggest one for me and it probably stems from the fact that most of my experience with stephen king comes from the movie adaptations rather than the books themselves is uh pat pat hingle's character exactly yeah. that's that's um, the one that i, I think the of graveyard too, yeah. shift mm-hmm. the the boss mm-hmm. man yeah. the, the guy the guy who's lording over everybody like the like graveyard shift very much had that vibe um, I haven't seen the movie. I'm very excited to check it out, though. But the Mangler, as far the as Mangler know, rules. has a similar thing. It's, yeah, the Mangler it's, rules. It is, it is wacky as hell. I mean, that's Toby Hooper unplugged 
right there. That's what I'm yeah. looking forward to. <laughs> and you got Robert England doing. He's he's Whatever sort of the, he's doing. Yeah, he's sort of the Pat Hingle <laughs> character in that movie. Yeah, those big crass personalities mm-hmm. that I think Stephen King is really famous for like um what's his face from christine you oh know? darnell all the all the darnell all those I'll kind throw of you out on your that's fucking ash i love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's hendershot and that what is that guy what is the guy's name the, the bible salesman that's him absolutely <laughs> yeah but just that that character who's kind of lording over everyone mm-hmm. who who has some sort of something he's holding over everybody yeah. to some to some degree or and something he loves it yeah. Yeah, and he and he loves throwing it in their face, mm-hmm. kind of. And in Emilio Estevez's character, he even kind of draws a parallel between being bossed around by the trucks and like being treated as like human cattle or slaves to some degree, as being kind of similar to being on parole and being like at the whim of mm-hmm. Pat Hingle's yeah, character. Yeah. I feel like if you were to put a pie chart of like just like a pie chart of uh, American films. I think Stephen King film adaptations would actually have its own sliver. I didn't realize oh, yeah. how many movies. There's it's ridiculous. There's mm-hmm. so many. Uh, a I, lot I of books and a lot of short stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I looked at his, I was looking for one of his books that I'd read and like, I, I don't know why I put Stephen King books in. There, there's like a thousand books in there for me to try to figure out which one. But one, uh, Trevor and I had a month where we did uh, VHS covers, like movies that we always wanted to rent from Blockbuster or Mom Pa movie store, just based on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of pulled the trigger on those. What was the one that I picked? Was it Jason Goes to Hell? Was one that I chose? <laughs> that was the one that you chose in Night of the Demons. Too. Night of the Demons Two is awesome. <laughs> we enjoyed it. One one that I completely forgot about until just now was really high up on my list was the Night Flyer. Oh yeah, I've oh, never seen Night Flyer. I've heard I've okay. seen that really one. good. I've seen that I've heard one. it's really good. Yeah, okay, it's, it's fun. Miguel Ferrer is always Ooh, yeah. welcome. Yeah, you, I just looked at the cast like Miguel Ferrer is on there uh, in there. So, so we might have to try to do the VHS cover month again. I think if if we are able to do that, I'm gonna have to do the Night Flyer. Okay. I would love to do that. That was a really fun project. Like I, I even just enjoyed making the graphic for that. Honestly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also that's, that's just like kind of one of my favorite things to do when it comes to like catching up on movies that I remember in some, in some way, but never actually experienced like, act, you know, wandering the aisles and spotting that cover that mm-hmm. sticks with you for decades. And it's like, you know, I think it's time to check that out and actually find out, if it's any good because mm-hmm. a lot of times it probably isn't but but you know you got to know you got to find out yeah speaking of graveyard shift that's when i always really liked the the skeleton Me too. with the hard hat on yeah yeah the, the cover for that one's very memorable and mm-hmm. like that that's that's a weird fucking movie yeah. <laughs> like, like, it has a bizarre ultra aggressive tone to yeah. it that um it it's interesting. I don't know if it's actually good, but I've seen it a number of times. It's one that I've never seen. I don't know if it's the rat really? thing or what, but I'm yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, creepy re- crawlies are. Like Kyle brought up. It's a sweaty like everybody in that movie is really sweaty and gross and dirty <laughs> all the time, and it makes you want to take a shower afterwards because they're also like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a very sweaty movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Kyle brought up the subject of teeth. Was it teeth trauma? 
Like, everybody has their their thing that's just like, Ugh! like, we learned today that nobody in this room particularly likes puke and punch bowls. True. Um, Brian, you, you don't like fingernails? Yeah, you know that part um, in The Fly where he takes it, you know, he's, yeah. Mm. And and we were yeah, we talked yeah. about it also in uh, uh, Black Swan. That's pretty pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle, you have, P2, what, teeth? And, P2. Uh, do, you, do you have issues with ears, too? Uh, ear trauma? Uh, a little bit, yeah, but I think teeth is probably the, the biggest one. You might want to avoid the movie The Dentist. <laughs> or uh, the marathon man. Have you ever seen? All yeah. oh, right. Have you ever seen? Uh, then there's that Steve Martin movie, Novocaine. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know that one. That's a that's a wild one. <laughs> teeth trauma in that too. Yeah. Well, Mag- Magnolia's got teeth trauma now that I think of it too, and that's like my favorite movie. But yeah, so I guess uh-huh. it doesn't bother me that much. I was gonna say it's 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 not so much like I don't know if you've seen Jackass three, but they pull out Danger Aaron's uh, tooth. Oh, they just straight up yank out yank out his tooth. That wasn't as bad for me. It's the scrape, any kind of scraping on teeth. Is yeah, just, yeah, avoid uh, the worst noise. Uh, yeah, the dentist is. I, I just watched that okay. for the first time, and it was just like there's a lot of drilling in that movie, like close ups of drilling uh-uh. happening. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the heads up. I mean, it's called the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a Vestron release, so I mean, it's, it's same, a sequel. And there's a sequel. <laughs> and Vestron's been releasing these movies like Maximum Overdrive on these really nice Blu-ray sets. I got to say, yeah. they're really doing uh, the Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels, three, four, and five at least. Are are, are I saw there. that at Walmart the other day, and yeah. I almost grabbed it. Oh, I've got it. <laughs> I've got it. You got if you if I was you like, got I it. No, Brian. You know if you're gonna watch these. if you're gonna get one of the Silent Night, Deadly movies, you might as well just get them all right. <laughs> i don't know i think i'm probably the first person in the history of the world to ever say that but yeah um. i don't know every time they put out one of those box sets of like those ridiculously long in the tooth direct to video horror sequels like there's always people popping up on twitter saying oh you know you like three four and five are really really good you guys should check it out well actually weirdly enough the fifth uh Silent Night Deadly movie uh, might be the best one. It, that's exactly yeah, what I'm it, talking it, about. So you guys probably didn't yeah. know that, but five is actually yeah. the good one. It's actually surprisingly interesting. Um, I'm not but, surprised. Uh, my favorite is two, even though it's like universally panned as the worst one. I think it's hilarious. I love garbage I love day. You know, garbage it, it, day. Garb- it, it affected global internet culture like it it its cultural footprint is vast garbage day is garbage day is probably going to be like the rallying cry of a united international (laughs) culture at some point i think so (laughs) we can all get behind garbage i think so and you know the the eyebrow acting in that movie is unsurpassed i mean it's remarkable garbage day um so i just love the number of cuts where it's like there are six or seven cuts for a exactly one reaction it's like what happened here (laughs) i know i uh you know that certainly could have been one of my picks for this episode um i considered the king kong remake from 1976 (laughs) oh which one did we do that one yeah Yeah, the jessica lang 
Yeah, yeah. You did, did that, that one. Okay, so I'm glad uh, yeah. I picked this one instead. Uh, yeah. Uh, who was in the suit? Rick Baker. Uh, Rick Baker. Was Rick Baker was uh, in the suit? Yeah. 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 Uh, we. Uh, it's Kong actually lives. funny around the time. <laughs> that that is a guilty pleasure move. Uh, that is utterly ridiculous, but it's kind of great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, the 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 heart transplant is you know that's memorable stuff right there. So. Oh yeah, no, they got they got a mechanical heart on a giant yeah. crane. Like you get to see a giant sized heart transplant performed by Sarah yeah. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long so since I saw that movie. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous uh, in a lot of yeah. ways, um, and the special effects are not on par, no. like with much of anything no. of the time. But it's fun yeah like and and it you know it has a nice little finale as well like it turns into like a crazy violent action spectacle at the speaking very end. of ridiculous um okay with maximum overdrive i have a few questions okay why uh do does curtis and connie's car not freak out nor does the bible okay. salesman's Yes. So, um, and the trucks, the trucks seem to have a vendetta against yes. the cars. Yes. Because they they go out of their way to like demolish cars yeah. that are just mm-hmm. idle. None like, of the cars in the movie seem to. You would think in this world, like there's some tons of cars in this town, right? They'd be all over the place. But no, there's like yeah. no cars. It's all big rigs. Yeah. yeah uh, I did read that apparently that's something from the short story. Okay. Um, I don't. I'm trying to. I'm struggling to figure out the symbolism uh, that that's inherent in that because, like, when you think of like a big rig tri- truck or something, it's like it's it's logistics. It's delivering. Supp- it's part of a supply sure. chain. It's it's like a lifeline for for humanity. A, a car is a is a personal conveyance. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's something that a, a specific individual has ownership of. Like trucks are also rented. Um, kind of similar to the relationship i guess between pat hingle and his employees he has dominion over them like a lot of truck drivers don't actually own their own rigs so they're they're borrowed maybe it's a commentary on uh the lobbying against developing the train system in the u.s and that we actually (laughs) don't need to use vehicles but we do need uh trucks at, at least at this point to ship things across country but we could have also developed the uh the railroad system and we wouldn't really need as many cars i highly doubt that's what it is (laughs) oh wow um so we're getting deep here okay now then Uh, there's a red there's a reddit thread on it can anyone shed any light on why the cars weren't affected in maximum overdrive and the first comment is it makes a lot more sense when you've got half half ounce of cocaine inside you is what I assume Stephen King's response would be. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Brian, you mentioned that we're digging deep here. It's just it's just ironic that that is actually the name of our theme song uh, that opens up is digging deep. There we go. So, yeah. Right on. Okay. Oh, well, did you have any thoughts, Brian? No, I'm just, just tossing, tossing out questions. Out I, I I don't <laughs> think I don't think it makes any sense, and I don't really care at this point. But well, yeah, but, I mean, M sixties don't like on on metal pipes don't exactly have any attachment to electricity sure. or mechanical parts, as far sure. as sure. And that's one of the things I was wondering too. Why does that gun um, fire of its own volition, but the ones that they are carrying don't? Ah. 
because, because those a, guns if, if i mean seriously seriously if that if that little knife <laughs> that electric knife could buzz around on its own why can't the gun just turn around and go well if they took the batteries out of the machines would they not would they still be affected there you go i mean if they need fuel to run i I mean, but also it requires an ignition key to be turned at some point, too. Like, what if Emilio <laughs> hopped in and just yanked the key out? Yeah. Would that be the end of the rampage? Does it, a, does it affect, <laughs> does it affect um, combustion? Does it affect uh, electrical? Or does it affect mechanical? All, all of the above. The, so because if it affects mechanical, <laughs> then, then, the, then the weapons would not be safe for them to use. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the weapons are owned by pat hingle he's an arms dealer of some sort presumably he's pass he's he has possession of them and he's passing them off to people the m60 appears to have come from an army yeah. base which means it belongs to a larger entity in the form of the u.s military so another well another answer Another answer to the question on that Reddit thread is, don't you fucking question Maximum Overdrive, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's kind of how I feel while I'm That's watching the movie, these, too. Yeah. You know, I'll admit to that. But, okay. Like, I have questions, but I don't care. Yeah. One more. Yeah, that that's kind of my approach. Is like, I, I know that this movie has no internal logic, therefore any questions i have are negated exactly. where it's like there are no answers so stop yeah. bothering well and then also <laughs> do the trucks think the have end, they did they plan exactly. are they planning are is they that why they kept the people alive uh, yeah i mean that truck <laughs> took offense when emilio was talking yeah. shit like it it, did. it it deliberately lit up its yeah. eyeballs it was like fuck <laughs> you buddy <laughs> well and are, they're communicating with each other apparently because they're saying hey we got gas over here uh-huh and they you got all those go trucks lined gas. up it's like, okay, and then they seem to have some kind of personality. They know, and then at the end, they they can they know English to do Morse code. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And then okay. at the end, you know, after we we get a lot of cool explosions in this too. They yeah. get to blow up the Dixie Boy. Fire, fire. They get to yeah, it's cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> so they get to blow up with a bazooka, the or rocket launcher. Sorry. I don't know which is... I don't know the difference. I'm sorry. And uh, they blow up the the Tots Toys truck. The Green Goblin truck. Which kind of gets <laughs> a double explosion. It gets hit and then it blows up. Which is pretty cool. Um, but then they all proceed to get on a motorboat. This yep. does not seem like a wise idea. Is that a motorboat, or they talked about a sailboat earlier in the movie? It's got a motor on it. I though. didn't. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> Neither did Stephen King. <laughs> so, uh, actually, speaking of motorboats, one of my favorite visual gags in the whole movie is the opening when they when the drawbridge goes up, and just like this uh -huh. little tiny motorboat goes under the bridge. I think that is one of the funniest visual gags <laughs> in the in that movie because you know it's like you know the bridge would open for a big boat and it opens for this little tiny one. I just think that yeah. is really funny. Yeah. So. One of my favorites is when he um, he puts the grenade on the little thing that's got the machine gun on yeah. it, and they go yeah. and they run into the the diner to hide. And their butts and the, in the air. Yeah. Their butts are in the air. <laughs> it's yeah. like a 
perfect shot of their butts. <laughs> There's. That was why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, Emilio Estevez and his butt at this point were, you know, prime. I don't know how to finish that sentence. They were. All, it was all in its prime. <laughs> He's got some prime meat back there. Yeah, I guess I don't saying? know. <laughs> I actually really like this shot when um, the one of the trucks is they, they've run out of gas and one of the trucks is like trying to like push him towards you know to go and fill up the, yeah. the tank in the ground and he's just like fighting with it like what <laughs> it's not really hitting him it's just kind of like nudging him along and he's like fighting up against well, it, it. it what has, do you want me to do <laughs> fight it or has I'm going, a similar I'm going. vibe to <laughs> To two men butting chest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, That's why I like except it. one it's of them's funny. a multi thousand pound truck and one of them's like five and a half foot tall Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I think another one of the reasons why I genuinely love this movie is because um I I've gone on the show um Pod and the Pendulum, it's another podcast, several times. Um and early on in the lockdowns, um the the host of that show, Mike, he said, let's do a, like a table read. Let's just get a bunch of people together and do a table read. And so they found this unproduced script called Maximum King. And it is the story of the making of Maximum Overdrive. And oh, wow. I would watch the hell out of that. It is so funny. It's, it's, it's King is so over the top. Um, and that it's it's in if you want to hear our table read which was admittedly a bit um inebriated uh it's very entertaining uh it's still in the in the feed there in it's called maximum king table read or something like that or just go online and find the script it's incredibly entertaining uh, and it's all the behind the scenes drama is in there. A lot of what I learned about the behind the scenes came from that because the, I'm sorry, the Blu-ray, um, only talks about the good things that happened during the making of this movie. There is no mention of, you know, um, the cinematographer losing an eye. There's no, no none of that is in yeah, that, is, that. Uh, is in the Blu-ray, uh, discussion <laughs> behind the scenes discussion <laughs> so it's uh very it, it, so anyway that's a lot of fun and it just made me kind of fall in love with this movie all over again because i had always been a big fan of this just knowing it was not good but knowing it was a lot of fun and well you know it, i revisited it i wrote an article on it for bloody disgusting just digging into what it is about this movie and i don't know it was a good time so to kind of come back to it and so having an opportunity to talk about it yeah guilty pleasure <laughs> sure but i tell you what it's it's a fun time and one of the great um i guess traditions of horror films is bad horror films you know that are a lot of fun. And I think this movie fits nicely into that. So you've got, you know, sort of your Roger Corman movies, you got your Ed Wood movies, you've got, you know, your 
deep cut Friday the 13th sequels and your, you know, third generation slashers and you've got maximum overdrive. They're, they're a part of that. And they're a lot of fun to watch. There's still a lot of fun to watch. No, I, I do think this one is a very, very fun watch. And I think part of that comes from like, I, I know there were arguments behind the scenes between director and producer. There's, you know, probably a lot of tension in that arena, but I think on the set, like dealing with the stunt riggers and and the pyrotechnics staff and the actors, I get the sense, and I, I did read up on this just a little bit, that like Stephen King probably did have some fun, yeah. like working with working with the people actually working like on the production, like not the money people. But just the people laying hands on on the on the sets and the props and the explosives and, and apparently, while he was in between in the downtime on the set, he was he had a little portable typewriter, and he was uh, writing a little book about a killer clown. <laughs> uh, so. Wow! So I mean, every everything everything's cumulative. Everything plays into yeah. the next. So had he not been frustrated on the set of maximum overdrive perhaps you know the next project wouldn't have been yeah. what it was you know? he also got <laughs> clean after this movie too and and so it was written mostly um off the the nose candy um and so uh, as i understand he actually went pretty much sober uh, after around somewhere around this uh period of time so and he's been, and now a lot of his books deal with that. I mean, uh, Doctor Sleep and <laughs> all those things. There are a lot of books that are recovery books uh, since since then. So it's really fascinating to see sort of that different facet of his career um, become so key, uh, kind of after this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pivotal yeah. moment. Uh, in, in his and apparently career. recently he said he would be open to directing another film which would be very different I'm sure I'm sure he would make compl- oh, yeah. very different decisions in a in a new film than he would than he did on Maximum Overdrive I have no doubt about <laughs> that so. I think it's a very I think it's a much different environment and a healthier environment for him to work in right now yeah. like like the the definition of indie horror is so expanded oh, these no days yeah. and and has so much more exposure it's so much better respected these days that i feel like doing a like a smaller movie that he has greater mm-hmm. control over that he he can really take his time with and get what he wants yeah. out of it seems much more feasible than again working on a Dino Taylor into yeah. his film first and time out the, the gate is, and trying to make a big dumb loud sure, movie your first time out sure. the gate. And what's funny is you know Stephen King's um, uh, sort of the output he had to film in the in this sort of period of time was not very well received. It was not highly respected. Um, you know, Children of the Corn and <laughs> even The Shining was not. <laughs> thought of highly yeah uh yeah the the only film that really was like this is a really good adaptation of a king book is was carrie most of the others were just like this is just crap i think the opinion has changed on that significantly Mm -hmm. um also in 1986 you had stand by me come out which was highly respected and people were like that was a stephen king book 
you know. Mm-hmm. But now even <laughs> even I still like that. Yeah, exactly. And and then you know Shawshank Redemption and various other mm-hmm. sort of more prestige stuff came along. But then people sort of went back and remade and reevaluated some of the horror stuff. And th- there have been you know like the It films were the first one at least were well received. Um, <laughs> the first one at yeah. least I thought, I, <laughs> important w- caveat <laughs> weirdly i actually prefer the second one and i know i know really? i am me and like two other people in the world feel that way um but that's fine and so i and dr sleep you know some of them even if they're not like respected and don't get big box office while they're in theaters they become sort of uh highly acclaimed after you know, coming to streaming or video or whatever. And um, it's just kind of a good time to be Stephen King. I think <laughs> he's, he's still, oh, yeah. he still has the freedom of his output uh, as a novelist, but he's able to try a lot of different things. He's doing a lot of mysteries, you know, and things like that. Just kind of a, doing a lot of, he can do pretty much whatever he wants as a novelist yeah. and it's going to sell and people are going to go after it and, and seek it out. And he, he's fine there. As far as the movies go, they've sort of caught up with that too, though. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of anticipata- anticipation, anticipation <laughs> about the new Boogeyman coming out, which is, again, one of his oldest stories. So I just find it just fascinating that, you know, the guy just seems to be go through renaissance after renaissance after renaissance Mm -hmm. so yeah i kind of like the era that he's in now i think he would be in a better place more way way more mature to Mm -hmm. tackle his own work reevaluate his own work maybe something uh, again from this earlier period you know i think he could um, make a really interesting film of one of the more personal pieces you know um Mm -hmm. So I I wish he had maybe tackled The Shining, for example. I think you get a single location film that is really about the mental breakdown of a father, um, and neither film version really captures that. No. So um, I I think that would be interesting, and I I don't know. Mick Garris is a wonderful interviewer. Uh, yes, he is. But uh, his. I, I know. <laughs> okay. I do I really need to finish? <laughs> I do I really need reference. to finish yes, that is. sentence? He's a great interviewer. He's a great interviewer. That's all he does. <laughs> That's all yeah. he's ever done. No, I like Critters too. <laughs> Critters too is pretty fun. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and he can keep on interviewing yeah. as long as he wants. Yeah, I, I think this environment right now would would be would be really interesting to see king step into the director's chair again like largely because i, I keep coming back to this but just like like filmmaking is a yeah. collaborative yeah, process i think he would be you much a support more system. of a collaborative uh person now yes. than he was then Not he only has that, been but on I think... some stuff you know and there there's been times where he, like he recognizes that movies and books are different they're yep. different mediums and so they're going to be different than uh, but his original story and he's not really precious about not too precious about most of them you know when they get adapted um i think the more personal ones like the shining is that's why he has a big problem 
with that. With the Kubrick film, yeah. yeah. Rightfully so, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I think if... Because I can't really think of any others now, but I know that he did... I, the only one I know that he actually did the screenplay for was Pet Cemetery, And to me, that's like one of the better adaptations of his work. And it's a combination of the script, like picking out the right stuff from the story to include and and the director mary lambert you know throwing in her flair as well so yeah. that kind of collaboration be really interesting to see yeah. now too yeah i should say for the record i think that kubrick's the shining is a masterpiece well yeah we talked about <laughs> yeah <this>. um, <laughs> i really do it's, okay um, it's a good movie but it's not it's not, not a king story. it's not an adaptation of king's book it's something Kubrick is doing something very different and that's fine you know I I actually you know so personally I think it's kind of a miracle what Mike Flanagan did with Dr. Sleep so yeah but we talked about that in our episode (laughs) we we talked about that in depth in our episodes it's a fantastic episode and actually got me really wanting to rewatch that movie because I I had seen it prior to listening to the episode, but um, I have yet to see the director's cut. And I I do remember asking both of you about that when we talked previous, Um, but I still haven't gotten around. It's a a long one, you know, but I think that the director's cut is superior. Um, It's not I don't often feel that way, but in that case, I do. Anyway, gotcha. we're kind of going far afield here of uh, Maximum Overdrive, but I don't know if there's much more to say <laughs> about it. King. I don't know if there's much more to say yeah, about I mean, it. We're, we're talking around yeah. the movie in a lot of ways, but like for me, the it's it's an enjoyable watch. It does have a, quite a lot of liabilities, sure. and and all of it is all of it is like I don't give a shit. Like it's all I can hand wave all of it away. Like I can forgive all of it, even though there's a part of me that's acknowledging this is really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like even just from a basic filmmaking standpoint sure. what what i what i mean like by film being a collaborative process is i feel like he came into this one hamstrung and also just unprepared because it's a totally different medium that he's working in it requires a totally different skill set uh, you need to be tapping into different parts of your mm-hmm. creativity and only that you need to form relationships because you can't lay hands on every frame of the thing like other people have to do it for you you as the director have to delegate so much of the stuff and then you have an italian producer with an italian dp who apparently had issues communicating right. with some of the mm-hmm. staff on the production and you have a first time director having to juggle all this meanwhile he's being bullied and being told he can't do some of the things he doesn't want to do and it creates an atmosphere where it's like i this thing came out like came out the gate like already limping and such that i have a i have like a a gag in my brain that's like one way you could have ended this movie was with a visual gag of you have that 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 card that shows the the message about the ufo being shot down but then you actually show the film ripping out of the game <laughs> like to show this like this movie made it to the finish line it it limped sure. across the finish line this movie is assembled <laughs> like, like all the shots are in it's done <laughs> like like just like maybe even That's cut funny. it halfway into the credits yeah. or something where it's just like we got to the end because as you get towards the finish line of the movie it just degenerates into explosions and it does and then they then they just kind of decide to kill one more guy at the end, probably because 
in the moment when they were setting up the truck for the explosion or something, they were like, body count's kind of low. <laughs> it's like, we should probably have someone else get hit. Can we recycle that dummy from earlier in the movie? And now that I think of it, it essentially has the escape sequence of Shawshank Redemption when they go through the sewer. <laughs> yes, yes, the sewer. Yeah, the sewer, and, you know, they come out the other side and, and escape. So, I mean... So there are lots of there are kingisms even not just in the characters but in the situations as well. So, <laughs> well, and and just like again, first time director, there's a lot there's a lot of weird elements of like a lack of internal logic. There's a lot of, but as a writer, he should know. Qu- question. <laughs> as a writer, yeah. he should. But you know, sometimes you get you you know get lost in the weeds or something. You're too busy. Farting around with the pyrotechnics yeah. boys, talking about how you're going to blow up the gas station at the end. <laughs> it's like we're not there yet, Mister King. <laughs> but but then you have stuff like the the Bible salesman in the ditch, where he has his very Kingian moment, where he's grabbing the kid and like doing like a Frank Welker voice to freak him out. And then two seconds later, they cut back, and it's like, oh, he died off screen. <laughs> so what the fuck was the point of well, that? Well, I mean, and then even... <laughs> Could that have been of... an inspiration for It? Because he's, like, kind of in the sewer, and, like, grabbing he's the in kid's the sewer. leg. The kid's name should have been George. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I think is really funny, um, just in the filmmaking of it, is you have yeah. um, all those characters getting shot in that one sequence, and mm-hmm. yeah. but then for some reason Hendershot, Pat K- Hingle's character, they show the machine gun fire at him, and then they show him like already bloodied. Yeah, they don't show him. They don't show him being squibbed, and it's like if I had to guess, it's a snafu with the squib yeah, rigging yeah. or something. Like it didn't yeah. go off That's right. What it like yeah, and so it's just like oh, we'll just edit it out. It's like, but they show <laughs> yeah. everybody else. It's like yeah, well that's. No, that that reeks of an absent-minded yeah. production. Like somebody yeah. fucked up, and we got what we got. And Mister Hingle has to go work on Batman now, or something. <laughs> but by the way, the, the, I think it's around that time. There, there's a. It feels like something out of a Mel Brooks movie or something. There's that scene when they wake up, and the guy throws open the double doors and says, "What the hell is going on here?" I know. <laughs> it's just like. I don't know what that was supposed to be, but it did make me laugh. Um, But there are a lot of elements of just like, you know, this is a very, very loose production. Even even like the the camera work and stuff is pretty pedestrian for the most part. And also a a big thing for me um, that I've noticed, like seems to be a a common trait among, I don't know, first time or, or like somewhat inexperienced directors, especially in this time period especially with a soundtrack like this, is the use of montage uh, to kind of fill time, honestly. Like like the scene through the neighborhood and the pumping gas montage and stuff is just like, stretch, stretch. Yeah, which is surprising. It's 97 but, minutes. I mean, you probably could have made this in even 87 and it would have been just fine. I would have yeah. been fine with yeah, that, honestly. <laughs> but from like but cut for a few me, minutes, add a couple more explosions. But for me, I always think of it as being like an eighty-seven minute movie. I don't know why. So, well, for me, that what really, like I said at the top of this discussion, what got me interested in the movie initially as a kid was Emilio Estevez with a rocket launcher. <laughs> um, but very similar to you, the the Little League sequence. Um, 
Coke machine taking out the coach with a shot to the nards. He's not a wolf man, but he certainly has nards. <laughs> um, and then uh, he gets killed with with concussion via yeah. Coke can. And then and then just the the brazenness of showing showing child death in the form <laughs> of his... a couple of kids just like splayed out on the field <laughs> yeah. that got battered yeah. with coke cans and then the steamroller like just... you said brian <laughs> and you see the head kind of pop you do you, you th- they go for yeah. the gusto and and also like that's also like we talked about like types of trauma and cinema and stuff that's actually a little bit of one of mine is, is getting squished is not a pleasant no, thing to think no. about yeah. but yeah the steamroller was mm. fantastic um Anyway, uh, any any other additional thoughts you want to expound on? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm. I think I think we probably said more about Maximum Overdrive than has ever been said about Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I mean, I like doing this every once in a while. Kyle and I refer to this as the the Chris Farley show type of discussion. Yeah, hey, you remember like, that yeah, time? You remember that, you remember that one time when that kid's head got squished by that steamroller? That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> we have episodes like that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since Kyle and I have done one, done one of those, yeah. but it, I I enjoy it personally. Mm. But yeah, this was a fun one to come yeah. back for me. I just have like some fun nostalgia. for This is one of those that I remember being on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. And just like always yeah. wanting to catch it, no matter where you were uh, in the movie when you caught it, it didn't matter, obviously, because it's maximum overdrive, and you just wanted to see it. And whether or not the people in the movie knew what kind of movie they were making at the time, if they were being serious or funny, like either way, it works out. You know, it's one of those where it's like if they were trying to be serious, it's hilarious. If they're trying to be funny, it's hilarious. You know? <laughs> yeah. And just I don't know. It's it's fun, and it's one of the, it's a it's a coke fueled masterpiece, I believe. There you how go. I described it to Brian. Um, <laughs> so that's, how could you right. not love All right. it? Or as the director himself refers to it, I think he calls it a moron movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, he he is pulls no punches on how he feels about this movie. You know, in on writing, he says something like he's talking about bad adaptations of his work. And he says, "Not that I have room to talk. I did direct Maximum Overdrive." Yeah, you know. So, so. Well, I think that's yeah. important to acknowledge your yeah. failings and you know learn so, from it. I um. think we, most people, most fans of Stephen King, love the movie much more than he does. So, sure. I think that's a hundred percent true. <laughs> he kind of thinks of it as an embarrassment, but you know, I think you know devotees of a certain era of uh, of horror film are just like I mean, maximum yeah, overdrive is just yeah. rad. it's just fun so anyway. it's the it's the thing i love about the horror community and horror fans is that it, we can find something to love in pretty much everything and see what really is wrong with that you know that's that yeah. makes for a lot more fun experience with the movie with any movie that you're watching if you go into a movie wanting to hate it like you're not going to if you go into every movie you watch wanting to love it i think you're gonna have a much better time yeah yeah i, I think that's very very true um and i, I try to bring that mentality every mm-hmm. time i put on a movie like i never put something on being prepared to hate it. <laughs> it's like oh i'm People sure do. this is People gonna like suck it. hate watch things and it's so annoying <laughs> uh well, I guess that's about it for Maximum Overdrive. But um, last last question, I guess. Um, Stephen King as an actor. 
Um, do you guys have any favorite performances from Mr. King? Because he does have a lot of cameos. And uh, Creepshow, of course, he has oh, a full-blown gosh, role yeah. in. Uh, for, oh, I forgot about Jordy Verrill. Yeah. Jordy Verrill. Um, that's a... Meteor. Meteor. <laughs> I mean, that's a. I was, I was thinking. My first thought went to Sleepwalkers when he just has that one little scene where it's all the. Who is who all is in that? I always forget. It's like one scene that's got like him and other horror people where he's like at the. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen Sleepwalkers? Brian? I never have. No. That one, I thought that was one you hadn't seen. It's another. It's another Mick Garris movie, but I've heard. I heard it's one of Mick Garris's good movies. <laughs> Isn't that at like the crime scene where he's, yeah, he's like trying to get the, everybody's attention? Yeah, they're at the the graveyard. No, that that was a good one, and also I also really enjoyed that movie. That's good campy fun. It is. Um, Sleepwalkers is, but uh, Brian, did you have yeah, a favorite I'm, King on? I'm looking to see the ones he's in, um, and so there are some that I wasn't aware of. He's in Fever Pitch. He's in Stuck in Love, apparently, which I don't know what that is some looks like some sort of teen comedy thing anyway um but if i had to pick one i'd probably say jordy verrill and creep show i i just i i think that is it's such a sad and funny and weird performance i i really enjoy mm-hmm. it frankly um and then honestly i love the one in at the the cameo at the beginning of this i think he is so hilarious yeah. <laughs> in that it's like because it's <laughs> hey look here sugar buns <laughs> or whatever he says <laughs> say tm just this called me just an called asshole, me an asshole. <laughs> I, yeah um I was right. Okay, so during his cameo in Sleepwalkers, he interacts with Clive Barker and Toby Hooper. So. There you go. There you, there you go. go. Cameo fest. How <laughs> about you, Kyle? Did there. you have one? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him in a film, uh, uh, so I can't. I can't speak to that. Have you seen well, Pets I would go with. No. What? He plays <laughs> a. Yeah, his no. his part in Pet Cemetery. That's one of his is, more muted. Yeah, it's parts. it's not much. <laughs> in it, it's kind of funny where he's just like in the shop and he's he's mm-hmm. got he's like drinking out of a coke can or something like that through a straw and when christine's license yeah. plate is behind him that's pretty good <laughs> no i i would probably go with creep show as well although this is cheating a bit but his uh his acting in the commercial the trailer for uh, maximum yes. overdrive mm. kyle kyle if you haven't seen it i'm gonna scare the hell out of you he's like pointing this way or something like that it's it's really funny and he's it's it's really funny he's, it's, it's, and he just has this goopy goofy impish smile on his face an the whole amazing time. unibrow too during i mean yeah, he's oh yeah, really yeah, got yeah, the yeah. unibrow thing going in this one and then they and then they have the halloween 3 music playing over him to, like it's like they're trying to make it feel like this is going to be a scary movie but if you've seen it it's like lies it's all lies oh, <laughs> no that, i think that's my favorite oh, instance of seeing him act if i'm being honest <laughs> what about his cameos and other stuff oof i i I'm struggling to recall. Oh, I've just um, noticed but this. If you have any, toss them out. No, because I, I totally forgot about this. He was on um, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Did you ever watch that oh, show? Oh, yeah, Shit. that would make sense. 
I think I he mean, was a he, fan of it. He, and he went, was a motorcycle yeah. enthusiast yeah. or is. He's in the stand I remember as a biker. He, but his um his role in Sons of Anarchy was um absolutely perfect for him though cuz he was one of those people that they call in to get rid of a dead body, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. So all right. Well, I suppose that wraps up the discussion for Maximum yeah. Overdrive and I guess mostly Stephen King, but th- this yeah. was a lot of fun anyway. But um, thank you so much, uh, Michelle, Brian, uh, for joining us today. This was yeah. a lot of fun. Of course. Yeah. Ho- hopefully we can have you back soon. Um, uh, but before we go, uh, would you guys care to give any plugs uh, to our listeners to, in regards to where they can find you guys and your super awesome podcast? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, you can find uh, (laughs) the show on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Life Pod. Uh, We got a lot of fun stuff already in our feed and coming up in well this year. I'm excited about this year. I know a lot of lot of crazy stuff coming up. Some of our more um, unique pairings are on their way. Um, I think this week we our episode on. A Simple Favor and Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is coming out. And so that's <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And um, then we've got <laughs> the one after that, the, the, the male buddy <laughs> ones, is, is going to be a lot of fun as well. Uh, so yep. we cover all kinds of things. We cover all genres. We cover, we each pick a movie on a subject. Usually, this is how it works at least. We pick a movie on a subject and sometimes they go together pretty easily sometimes they're pretty wildly different from each other um and just have a good time discussing them together and usually giving a couple recommendations as well if we can and yeah that's kind of how it works for us you can find my me personally uh, on twitter instagram and letterboxd at brian waves 42 i had to think about that for a second (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry I, you can occasionally find me on instagram <laughs> i just michelle aiken all right well thanks for all that um really enjoy the show so i'm looking forward to the the buddy pairings that you you guys got on the horizon i've seen a simple plan i have not seen a barb and star favor. i've heard really really good things a oh, simple favor i'm sorry um but yeah i'm looking forward to listening to both of those episodes whenever uh, they end up dropping uh, but as for us, uh, if you want to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can do so at our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. <laughs> Google it. Uh, that being said. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time. <laughs>